Find a fresh take on a fall getaway to Wilmington, North Carolina and beaches. Enjoy hiking trails in a state park, fresh seafood with a sight of live music and fall festivals galore. Then live it up along the Riverwalk in Wilmington's historic downtown. With three island beaches, Carolina, Curie and Wrightsville and a vibrant downtown, you get the best of the Carolina coast all in one place. Plan your fall getaway at WilmingtonandBeachesVacation.com. How do you make a vacation last? How do you hold on to the joy, the clarity, the calm? Easy. You go to Aruba. You'll spend your time relaxing on cool, white, sandy beaches and floating in healing blue water. You'll meet locals brimming with gratitude for an island that redefines what a paradise can be. You won't just feel great. You'll feel relaxed, renewed, and ready for life. That's the Aruba effect. Plan your trip at aruba.com. This is episode 265 of Alohomora for February 16th, 2019. And welcome to another episode of Alohomora, MuggleNet.com's in-depth exploration of the Harry Potter series. I am Rosie Morris. I'm Michael Harley. And I'm Patrick Musilek. And I have the esteemed pleasure of introing our guest, Micah. Hi. Hi, Micah. I'm Micah. I am 14 and I'm a huge Harry Potter fan. I'm a very proud Ravenclaw. And I've had a bit of an identity crisis with my Patronus, but I think I've decided that it is a dolphin. Ooh, a dolphin's Ooh. a nice one. I like that idea. <laughs> yeah. Where does where does the identity crisis issue come from with it? Well, I took the quiz a couple of times because I didn't feel like any of the animals I was getting really fit me. And then I got the dolphin and I was like, you know what? That fits. That's perfect. <laughs> <laughs> I was the same. I had like a salmon and a dog and neither of those are me. So I'm just going with an otter. It's just, I'll, I'll choose my own thing. A thanks. salmon? <laughs> yeah. What's a salmon Patronus going to do? Like, flap at something? Yeah, it's not good. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> That's great. Where are you from, Micah? Um, I'm from North Carolina, and it is very warm here right now, but it's about to get cold again, which I'm not happy about. Ooh, it's negative two here where I'm at right now. It feels like there's a lot of dementors around lately. Have yeah, descended crazy upon. weather happening. <laughs> upon things here. And Micah, you mentioned to me uh, too before recording that you also know your uh, Ilvermorny house. What is your Ilvermorny house? Yes, um, I am a Pukwaji. And if we go with the theory that the Ilvermorny houses are combinations of two Hogwarts houses, that actually works really well for me because supposedly Pukwaji is Ravenclaw and Hufflepuff, and my secondary house is Hufflepuff. So there you go. That's interesting because I am Pukwaji as well, and I was sorted into Ravenclaw, but really wanted to be sorted into Hufflepuff, so it kind of works for me too. <laughs> oh, cool. Oh, see, there you go. Oh, I like this theory. We got to test this some more. I know we had a little bit of that with the 
when we were talking about the houses back in a few episodes, but we'll have to revisit that again. The other thing, Micah, that I wanted to ask um, is, and because you mentioned this already, you're 14 years old, which is like the four years past the age I was when I started reading Harry <laughs> Potter. <laughs> so um, I'm, I'd love to hear a little bit about kind of how you got into Harry Potter, because it's been a while since we've had a younger guest on um so tell us a little bit about how you got into it. Okay, I was, let's see, I think I was 12. I might have been 11. No, I was 12 when I first uh, read the books. It was about two months after I turned 12. And I remember I read the first book on my Kindle, and I keep a journal, so I remember writing in my journal that night. I don't know if anyone has ever said this, but once you set foot in Hogwarts, you never want to leave. Oh, <laughs> Very true. That is so sweet. You, it was past two thousand by that point, so de- somebody had definitely said that already. <laughs> but that is still so sweet. Oh my yeah. god, that's precious. Um, <laughs> and I had been to a trunk or treat literally two weeks before I first read the books, where somebody had decorated their car as all Harry Potter themed. And I had no idea what it meant. If it had been two weeks later, I would have known. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. Oh, this is so exciting. This is so exciting to have somebody who, because when probably around the time you started, you said you were about 11 or 12 when you started reading them? Yeah. Okay. So the series was already finished by that time. So you were able, were, did you read them all at, like at once in one go really quickly or did you take your time with them? Um, well, I got most of them from the library. I read the first two on my Kindle. Mm. I got most of the rest from the library and I read Order of the Phoenix online, which was very frustrating for me to actually find it because it would be weeks before our uh, before it was returned to our library, and I was impatient. So, <laughs> <laughs> and and did did you finish all the books and then watch the movies, or did you watch the movies as you were reading the books? No, I finished all the books and then I watched the movies, and I'm not sure. If I have a favorite movie, but it might actually be Chamber of Secrets. Has oh. nothing nothing to do with young Tom Riddle, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> obviously not. Well, it's funny you should say that, Micah, because this episode today is a chapter revisit. We are revisiting Chamber of Secrets. Oh, really? I don't 13. think I knew. <laughs> <laughs> and we are looking specifically at Chapter 13, the very secret diary. So, first of all, happy just post-Valentine's to you all. Uh, this chapter occurred 26 years ago in the <laughs> Harry Potter timeline, and so we wanted we were trying to be a little timely with this episode. So make sure to read wow. uh, chapter 13, or probably in most cases reread chapter 13 before listening. And if you really want to go the extra mile, you can listen back to episode 16, which was titled Ghost Moses, which came from all the way back from November of 2012. Interestingly enough, also recorded 26 years ago. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> feels, I'm sure it feels, well, I was going to say it might feel that way for Rosie because she was the only one of us who was on that episode. A long, so. long time ago. <laughs> <laughs> you were, you were a different person then. <laughs> I was, I really was. <laughs> I was. I was definitely a different person then because that was before I read the books. <laughs> Oh, wow. Okay, that's very scary. <laughs> <laughs> it was a different world. It was. But 
Yeah. And I'm sure Rosie, as as most people, I, I think a lot of our listeners think that we remember each episode very specifically, but I don't know if you recall recording that episode <laughs> specifically. I, yeah, not so much. It was very early on. We were still doing two chapters of the books at a time at that point, And yeah, mm-hmm. it was a very long time ago. <laughs> Fun fact, listeners, this this kind of faded out from things that we brought we would bring up later in the series and um uh one of our running jokes that kind of actually ran out was our uh, this was the episode where the mandrake liberation front started yay um, i do remember so, that oh, that's exciting <laughs> yeah that was that was an old joke that was started by by noah um yeah. back in that episode so yeah if you if you want to listen more to that Head back to that episode. You will also get two chapters within that episode because that was back in the day when we were doing two chapters uh, per episode instead of just one. So we have this episode. We get to give the whole episode just to chapter 13. A proper deep dive. Mm -hmm. Yes. (laughs) And of course, we would not be able to make episodes like this without you guys and your wonderful sponsorship and patronage on Patreon. Um, this episode is actually sponsored by Amy Loudenslager. Thank you very much. You're a brand new patron, so welcome to the club, and thank you so much for all of your support of our show. Yay! Yay! Thank you, Amy. <laughs> you guys out there can become a sponsor for as little as $1 a month, and rewards include all of the things that I'm sure you're sick of us talking about by now. <laughs> things like our private Facebook group, Dumbledore's Office, at the $2 level, where fans can chat with each other and the Alohomora hosts about all the latest Wizarding World news, Things like our decals of the Alohomora logo at the $5 level, private readings from Michael at the $15 level, which is a chapter of your choice, perhaps chapter 13 of Chamber of Secrets, <laughs> and things like vintage Alohomora t-shirts, such as the Mandrake Liberation Front, which is a great t-shirt. I own it. It's brilliant. You should see if you can find it. We will also uh, continue to release exclusive tidbits for our sponsors, and you should visit patreon.com forward slash Alohomora to find out more. And before we head into Chamber of Secrets, we're actually going to backpedal a little bit for our shout-out Maxima for from episode 263, which we're going to do a little bit of uh, ring theory, circle theory here, because we were looking at chapter 17 of Half-Blood Prince. How fitting. Oh, that's cool. Um, but, and, and of course, a very Tom Riddle-heavy chapter. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> but we wanted to shout-out Maxima to a few of these comments, including... Uh, a comment chain from Frumpy, but super smart, and Griffin Prefect for their discussion about Dumbledore's secrecy and how it negatively affects Harry and his character growth, which was, I thought, a really great comment section. Uh, I, I also want to give an, a second shout-out to Griffin Prefect for breaking down what we do know about the trace, because that was debated on the show and has been debated uh, for a long time on our show about how the trace even works. Um, so there was a lot of great evidence um, pulled out from the books on Griffin Prefect's part. And finally, to our good friend, HB Boy 13 who had quite a lengthy back and forth with Katie trying to figure out Riddle's timeline <laughs> in the Harry Potter books. It was It's very long, and I couldn't possibly map it all out here. Um, but that was a really great discussion. And of course... Shout out Maximus to all the rest of you who participated in the discussion, including Arthur Dent, Disc Kid, and the Statute of Secrecy, Griffin Puff Girl, Huffle Puff, Helpful Puff, rather, <laughs> <Ooh>. um, <laughs> uh, 
panagakos.z or uh, that was the actually the name of our uh, guest Zoe from that episode. That time room is Wadawasi Dvoldi and they've taken my wheezy. Thank you all for stopping by and leaving your comments on that episode and participating in the discussion and listeners if you would like to be a part of that discussion just because the episode is over does not mean the discussion is. Head on over to alohamorapodcast.com and check out episode 263 to participate. Three turns should do it. Chapter Revisit. <laughs> His eyes are as green as a fresh pickled toad. Chapter 13. I wish he was mine. He's really divine. The Very Secret Diary. <laughs> As Hermione recovers from her botched polyjuice potion, Harry and Ron recover an abandoned and curiously blank diary from Moaning Myrtle's bathroom. Their curiosity is, however, briefly disrupted by the interruption of Gilderoy Lockhart's Valentine's Day celebrations, complete with telegram-delivering dwarfs and a disastrous attempt at a romantic gesture from Ginny to Harry. But despite all of the distractions, Harry's mind continues to return to the diary, and he discovers its shocking secret. Its writer of 50 years ago, Tom Marvolo Riddle, can speak from within its pages. Harry is given a morbid glimpse into the last attack by the Chamber of Secrets' famed monster, with all evidence seemingly pointing to one culprit, Hagrid. So... Before we get into this chapter, I know, Patrick, you had something you wanted to point out about your experience with revisiting. Point out, and it's also sort of a confession, really, though. I have discussed it uh, a little bit in our uh, Facebook group, which for just $1 on Patreon, you guys can join Dumbledore's Army on Facebook group and and get into (laughs) all those conversations. But um, yeah, I don't think I've mentioned it on the show yet, but uh, along with, I'm not just some schmuck that these wonderful people found and pulled me off the street. I am the editor of A Little More and have been since episode four. Uh, We've had many different editors on the show throughout the years, but I've been here since almost the very, very beginning. And Obviously, I have a love for Harry Potter, but when I was done reading the books after the seventh one f- came out, I just had this big sense of uh, completion. I felt this sense of completion and satisfaction. And so I'm not one of those people that rereads the books very often. Mm-hmm. And I, while I'm editing the show, I get to sort of live kind of vicariously through all of you guys, just like the listeners of the show. And so this was actually, when I found out I was going to be on this episode, this was the first chapter of any Harry Potter book that I've probably read in at least the last seven or eight years. So I thought that was wow. kind of a fun thing. <laughs> when I was reading all the books, I got them online or from the library. I finally got a full set of the actual paperback ones for Christmas, and I've been rereading my way through them. And I was honestly surprised at how much I forgot, so... This should be cool. There's mm-hmm. so much detail in them. You need to reread them if you can, Patrick. <laughs> but then you have listened to us dissecting them for years. So. <laughs> yeah, I plan on rereading them. But, you know, and I, and, you know, I just it's sometimes it's kind of fun to maintain a bit of an outside of the box, uh, you know, a point of view in terms of the show, because I'm not so like deep in the trenches of Harry Potter that I can still, you know, kind of see around the outside edges of the box, if that makes sense. Mm hmm. Well, and I, I think that's the the funny thing with revisiting these chapters, too, because I, I haven't I've, I've, I realized, first of all, I haven't done a chapter revisit episode since November. So <laughs> it's been a while since I've uh, been doing this and, and 
too. I I haven't cracked open Chamber of Secrets in a in a long time. Um, so Me neither. this is. Yeah, it's it's not that I don't enjoy the book because I I'm actually one of the people there a lot. There, Chamber of Secrets is like the new one to hate on. Actually, I've noticed in recent years, huh. um, it's getting a lot more flack from the fandom lately, both the movie and the book, um, which I always find fascinating because I think Chamber of Secrets is really good and really important to the series as a whole. Yeah. And it's always fascinating to hear that people are just like, ugh, Chamber of Secrets. Because my least favorite book is Order of the Phoenix because Harry's obnoxious. <laughs> and recently I decided to torture myself for some reason by reading it again. I don't know. <laughs> well, my favorite book in the series is Order of the Phoenix because it's the most realistic representation of life. Life sucks. And Order of the Phoenix is a great representation of that. And in terms of two, I think it's fun because it's kind of, it kind of Michael, what you were saying, it probably gets sort of the short end of the stick a lot of the times because it's kind of an in-between book. A lot of people think of the third one mm. as being the first sort of more grown-up one, or at least that's the one where the, the characters and the writing sort of seems to mature to then get you to the really dark stuff in four, whereas everyone remembers the first one very fondly. There's a lot of nostalgia to it, and we always say, you know, the books age with the kids, and the kids are very young in the first one, so we kind of give it a pass. Yeah. And in the second one, even though it's dealing with a lot of things that are really dark, it it still feels a bit transitional. Yeah. I think Chamber is very yeah. much kind of an origin story for Tom Riddle, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're, we're learning the origin of the, the villain for the whole series. But then it also gets overridden a little bit by Half-Blood Prince later on, where we get another origin story for the same character going into a lot more detail and setting up a lot more of the darker themes. So it's it's an interesting one that you could read the whole series and not necessarily need anything from Chamber of Secrets because it's covered elsewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's got... I, I love Chamber of Secrets. It's a good, um, heartfelt book with a lot of nice kind of family character building, all that kind of stuff. It's kind of like the first one sets up the hero and the second one sets up the villain. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, well, yeah, because we've only gotten a very, very minimal taste of who Voldemort is as a character from Sorcerer's Stone. And we're yeah. getting pretty detailed information about him in Chamber of Secrets. Um, But before we get deep into that aspect of this chapter, because that will definitely come up, uh, we we have a few other characters to chat about. And the first one, uh, she's not terribly pivotal to this chapter, but yet she is here quite a bit. It's our favorite uh, young lady at Hogwarts. It's Miss Hermione Granger. And uh, I saw here that uh, we've got a few points from Micah, if you would like to chat about these, Micah. Oh, yeah, sure. The first thing I noticed was it's so in character for Hermione to be doing a schoolwork even when part cat. Like, if yeah. I if I had, like, a badly brewed polyjuice potion and turned into a cat, I would be quite happy to get off my homework, but <laughs> Hermione has decided that she needs to get it done. Literally the only thing that can stop her from doing her homework is being petrified. Yeah. Later in the year. <laughs> and even then she manages to save everyone's behinds. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes, that's true. That's true. <laughs> also, I didn't put this on the doc, but uh, something else I had wondered is if she ever, like, talked to McGonagall about being a cat or something. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's an interesting thought, yeah. I wonder, because, and you, you guys asked this on... Uh, episode 16, actually, uh, with pointing out that Hermione 
Hermione uh, supposedly did not tell Madame Pomfrey exactly why she got turned into a part cat. And it's interesting because you all asked how Madame Pomfrey would know how to counteract the issue if she didn't Mm -hmm. know what caused it in the first place. Because theoretically, yes, you could make the, you could make any excuse about why you got turned into a part cat, because there are a lot of spells and potions that could do that. Um, it just seems though, like the counter charms and counter potions to cure it might be different depending on what caused it. Yeah. So it seems like what if Hermione was trying, like, like Micah mentioned, what if Hermione was trying to, said she was trying to be an animagus, um, or what if she used a charm that went wrong instead of a potion? But I guess you can fix it any which way. Maybe? I guess it depends on whether you're creating an antidote for the potion in the first place, or if you're just kind of treating the symptoms. Mm-hmm. So maybe mm. there was just spells or, or potions to get rid of cat ears and whiskers and all that kind of thing, <laughs> rather than having to worry about actually undoing the potion itself in the first place. I mean, that's what I had been thinking, that it was more treating the symptoms, more cosmetic type things. Mm. Mm-hmm. But yeah. also I think Madame Promptfree, like... If anyone's going to stick to a Hippocratic Oath, especially in a school, Madame Pumphrey's <laughs> really, really good at it. She sees all sorts of things going through her doors and cares enough about the students to protect their privacy and their idiocy. <laughs> That's the thing, too, is I imagine even if her, if nobody were to tell Madame Pumphrey what their actual what actually happened, she's trained well enough to know what happened. Yeah. So she could I'm sure probably Hermione's not the it. first part cat or part other animal that has <laughs> accidentally come through her door with Polyjuice Potion. Pro- probably not, that's true. <laughs> but there's another aspect about Hermione that we wanted to note in this chapter, because, of course, Ron and Harry notice Lockhart's Get Well card that is under her pillow. And we had a few things to talk about with this, and one of them is that Hermione... The, the interesting thing is that I wanted to explore is what does this crush on Lockhart kind of tell us about Hermione as she evolves through the story? Because this doesn't really come up again. Um, I think even when they re-encounter Gilderoy in book five, I don't think anybody has, I think everybody's sensitive enough to not bring up the point that Hermione used to have a really deep in crush with him. (laughs) So, what does this tell us about Hermione and how she evolved in the later books? And what did this experience, did this experience teach her anything? Or is there any noticeable growth in her character from this experience? I kind of got the sense that the crush on Lockhart sort of demonstrates at this point that, yes, she's a very mature 12-year-old, and yes, she's absolutely brilliant, but she's still a 12-year-old girl. And there's like this really handsome, you know, celebrity teacher at school and she's still prone to some of the sillier things that 12-year-old girls feel and do. So I think that adds a little bit of an element of realism to her character that I always liked. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. I think it also works to show Hermione as slightly more emotionally involved than both of the boys. Um, so she's kind of on that level slightly before the others. Um, and it also sets up this... I, I, I see it as setting up the relationship between her and Ron. Um, because, you know, the way Ron reacts to her crush on Lockhart is kind of how he later reacts to the crush on Crumb and all that kind of thing happening. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's kind of 
putting a seed of jealousy almost into them without really knowing what it is at this point, perhaps. Well, and it's also, I think it's important to keep in mind, too, that it wasn't just Hermione that had a crush on Lockhart. It started way back at the beginning of the book with Molly Weasley. And you just get this sense that Very true. he is a heartthrob and he is someone that, you know, <laughs> little, little wizard, little witches probably have his poster, you know, up on their walls. And I'm sure older witches have his poster up on the walls in their house too. But it just, <laughs> sometimes when you get, you can get swept up in something like that. And it's almost like a, like a psychological thing. Like I'm sure she really did, feel attracted to him intellectually. I'm sure she enjoyed the fact that he had written all the books and that he said he was as as uh, talented as he was. But then also just the fact that he's got his, you know, his ruggish good looks, or I guess not even ruggish. He was very... Um, flamboyant. Yes, flamboyant. Yeah. And, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, in my head, I kind of think of him as sort of like an Elvis type of character or something. People still to this day love <laughs> Elvis. They got, you know, posters of him everywhere and people love listening to his music. Yeah. And that's kind of A the way I see Elvis. Lockhart. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I think it's also important to remember that everything Hermione knows about the Wizarding World, especially this early on, she has really learned from books. And she's read so many books about magic and so much about the Wizarding World. And to actually then meet and be taught by one of these authors that, you know, she's not going to be taught by Wendelin the Weird or whoever, you know, anyone who's been writing all of these books from history for mm-hmm. hundreds and hundreds of years that she's been reading. Um or Batilda Bagshot, or all these kind of people. Um, But to have Lockhart in the room with her, someone who has basically been her gateway into the wizarding world, is quite a powerful thing as well. Mm. And I'm a huge musical nerd, so nobody else might get this reference, but Lockhart kind of reminds me of uh, Galinda at the beginning of Wicked a little bit. I mean, he's (laughs) even wearing bright pink robes at one point in this (laughs) chapter. It's very true. Yeah. Does that make Snape Alphaba? <laughs> that is actually hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> I there's a line in here somewhere where he's uh during the Valentine's bit where he's talking about asking the other teachers to help them get into the spirit and he's yeah. says something like um ask, you know, ask Snape to teach you how to whip up a love potion and Snape looked as though the first person to ask him for a love potion would be force-fed poison or something. Yeah. <laughs> perfect <laughs> so because yeah the, i'm glad you all mentioned too how it's and micah you said this specifically how it's a bit about hermione maybe you know having a bit of a character flaw because i think a lot of people forget that hermione has character flaws <laughs> like a lot <laughs> it's of easy a to lot forget. of yeah well i think a lot of criticism that we like we've heard in episodes that center around hermione is that we talk her up too much or that she's too perfect in the narrative and that's why people find some people don't find her relatable. And I often think that actually the books do a pretty good job of showing that Hermione has faults and that that impression of Hermione tends to come more from the films. Yeah. Well, and all of Hermione's faults are faults that don't really hurt anyone other than herself, I guess. Like she has very adm- admirable faults. Mm. Her faults all deal with being mm-hmm. too too focused or um, too thinking too literally about things, which is something that's almost kind of hard to fault someone for because the situations where we see her kind of tripping over herself are these extreme situations where Harry usually has to come in and save her with the cool head. But Hermione is usually a bit more uh, focused. And, you know, the moments where she decides to focus too hard is when we see her, her failings, I guess. 
Yeah, absolutely. I think yeah, there's there's there, that's a great point that her faults are kind of more admirable faults. I in in some ways I find them to be very relatable because they're like very true faults of you know faults that help you build character in lots of ways and Hermione yeah. does grow from those things. And if you think about Hermione the the purpose of Hermione's character in in the series is that she's there for the most part especially at the beginning to to be the person to deliver us the information. Mm-hmm. So we get all the information, all of the magic and whimsy and the sort of the, the crazy stuff that we're really excited to learn, that's all coming from her. So we have an, a special attachment to her because of that. Usually I noticed that when Hermione's wrong about something or when she messes something up is when she gets very flustered or emotional. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting because her wider emotional range is something that's contrasted with the boys a lot and usually it helps her understand situations but sometimes it makes her lose her focus a little bit Mm -hmm. yeah yeah she feels things too deeply sometimes that's probably why the team the the trio as a team is such a good team because they do balance each other out really well in that way um i wonder too if this is maybe contributed to why hermione is extra suspicious of like every single defense against the dark arts teacher after Lockhart. (laughs) (laughs) It's, it's, it's never really explicitly stated that that was, that's why, but she does seem to keep a closer watch on them. Very betrayed. (laughs) (laughs) I can tell you personally, uh, that the bit with emotions clouding your focus sometimes is a very common fault of teenage girls. (laughs) (laughs) It's very true. I, I can also say it is it is also the fault of many of the behavior of many teenage boys as, as well. <laughs> I'll second that. Um, but before we move on to the big event, because we did kind of drop that Valentine's Day is coming here, there's another character who wanders in for about half a second, and he's he's been put out quite a bit. Um, it's Filch, and of course. He's he's already had a tough time this book because his cat's been petrified and he's been cleaning up a lot of messes around the school left by the monster of the Chamber of Secrets. But uh, Myrtle has gone and cried a whole giant pool everywhere of water again. And Filch mutters that he's going to go talk to Dumbledore about it and it's the last straw. And he's fed up with his cleaning duties and Myrtle making a mess everywhere. And I kind of thought to ask, especially because... Filch is a bigger part of this story. This is probably one of the biggest roles he plays in Harry Potter in Chamber of Secrets. Is and he and and Filch introduces the concept of a squib to us in Harry in the world of Harry Potter. And when he mentions that he's going to go to Dumbledore, I thought to myself, you know, is incorporating a squib as the janitor really the best kindest thing that Dumbledore could think to do? Well, what else could he do? He doesn't really have magic, and most of the other jobs at Hogwarts involve magic, so... I don't know. I don't know what he could do. I just feel like this is this seems to be especially unkind. <laughs> it's, especially because these things can be taken care of with magic. Yeah, Flitwick can just wave his wand, and the whole swamp that the twins create goes away, whereas think about if Filch would have had to clean up that whole swamp. Yes. It's funny because it seems more of like a penance thing mm-hmm. in some ways but uh, uh you know we don't know anything about filch's past as far as i'm aware i don't think we have any canonical information on no filch. the most information we get is when he's trying to um join that mail order magic thing essentially mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. and that's yeah really all we get to know about him 
other than his yeah. love of thumbscrews. Just fun vocabulary <laughs> moment. Did you know that to filch means to steal something? Oh, hey. That's <laughs> clever word. Nice little bit of English slang there. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but that's, yeah, it's funny because that just, it, The the squib thing is uh, the squib stuff with Filch is eventually supposed to lead into the 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 subplot about Petunia and how that ties in with Lily and Snape and so it's so it is a good job of showing that squibs don't fit into the Wizarding world very well they're the most in many ways they're the most out of place in the Wizarding world I wonder Um, if there's a bit of a tie to Ariana as well so perhaps there's Dumbledore's mm -hmm. hiring him as a kindness to a squib because of his sister, that kind of thing maybe. But then, yeah, it's it's not very kind. <laughs> well, and if you think about the other squib that we get to know more throughout the series, that would be Mrs. Fig, right? And so we can see that yeah. Yeah. She, she, her character ends up, she does end up helping Harry and the Order in, you know, in sort of an offhand way. And so in some sense, you can just say sort of yeah. bare minimum, she's a good character and Filch is kind of a bad character or a villain throughout the series. So maybe she's just there to kind of, balance off of her i don't think filch would make a good spy yeah that's true (laughs) you know i always wondered maybe it's just an enemy of my enemy sort of thing but i always how do you make a vacation last how do you hold on to the joy the clarity the calm easy you go to aruba you'll spend your time relaxing on cool white sandy beaches and floating in healing blue water You'll meet locals brimming with gratitude for an island that redefines what a paradise can be. You won't just feel great, you'll feel relaxed, renewed, and ready for life. That's the Aruba Effect. Plan your trip at aruba.com. Find a fresh take on a fall getaway to Wilmington, North Carolina and beaches. Enjoy hiking trails in a state park, fresh seafood with a sight of live music and fall festivals galore. Then live it up along the Riverwalk in Wilmington's historic downtown. With three island beaches, Carolina, Curie and Wrightsville and a vibrant downtown, you get the best of the Carolina coast all in one place. Plan your fall getaway at WilmingtonandBeachesVacation.com. And maybe there's something in canon I'm forgetting here. But in Order of the Phoenix, since I've been rereading it, Filch sort of seems like an ally with Umbridge and the Inquisitorial Squad. But wouldn't she have been biased against squibs? I think he hides his squib status from her for a lot of that book. Mm. Um, She asks him to do things and he kind of says, oh, yes, right away and and, and rushes off. She never actually really sees him doing the work. Oh, okay. Um, So I I think she assumes that he has magic and can do things. But also, at the same time, she is trying to teach magic in a theoretical way and doesn't want to encourage practical things. So maybe she thinks, oh, he's not using magic because of what I'm trying to bring to this school. Um, so she appreciates his yeah. lack of ability to be able to act on anything. I wondered similar things about Draco and wouldn't he have thought the same, but maybe he didn't know. And also maybe if he did, it was just sort of an enemy of my enemy kind of thing. We we find out, I think, from the squib information in this book that Filch's squib status is not known yeah, to so. many people. I think mm. there's just kind of a like this this kind of embedded sense of in the culture at Hogwarts that, oh, Filch just does the cleaning and nobody really thinks about it. Um, also, so. there's an army of Good house point. elves <laughs> who do cleaning. Yeah, well, that's, that's what I was just going to ask, too. 
Do we know if squib if a squib could open a door that has a like a magical password? We talked about that before too with uh, previous characters who get brought into the wizarding world and the idea that because another thing is that Filch can definitely see Peeves. We've had confirmation of that in the books, mm-hmm. yeah. That's but true. we also know that Mrs. Uh, Mrs. Fig could not see the Dementors. She lied about seeing them, mm. um, and Rowling confirmed that. Yeah. So it's kind of iffy about what squibs and muggles can and can't so see. So Filch has had much... a really bad year for the whole of Prisoner of Azkaban. No idea why. <laughs> well, because yeah, I was wondering, just like you said, Rosie, if he has like house elves that meet him every day to like help him at certain times to like help him go through stuff. And yeah, I imagine him going to the kitchens and trying to get in there. And if he'd even be able to get into the kitchens to ask for help or not. Mm. Very Mm -hmm. true. Listeners. I want to hear your thoughts on how Dumbledore deals with Filch and if that's actually the best way to incorporate a squib into the wizarding world. Cause it just, it doesn't seem like the best use of your squib. (laughs) If you're going to have one. So, so Michael like is now creating bad. the Filch Liberation Front. Yeah. <laughs> Dumbledore discovers 12 uses for squibs. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it's it's time to kind of lighten the festivities, especially now that the Chamber of Secrets monster seems to have taken uh, a break for the holidays. So it's Valentine's Day and it's pink and confetti everywhere. But Patrick has a little bit of history for us on Valentine's Day that may not be so pink and confetti. Yes, exactly. I was going to say it's an interesting choice of words there that we're going to lighten the mood a little bit. (laughs) I was kind of looking at the origin of Valentine's Day, and I found that the Romans would celebrate a holiday. It wasn't called uh, Valentine's Day, but they just kind of refer to it as a a few romance days. But in looking it up, I found out that uh, between the 13th and the 15th of February every year, Roman men would chase after women and whip them with raw goat and dog skins and follow them around. <laughs> Lovely. I mean, nothing says romance. like. Wow, I'm glad I did not live back Gee. then. <laughs> yeah. yeah, me too. I don't know if I could whip anybody. Um, the, the idea, though, was that they were doing this kind of to help celebrate their feast, which was called Lupercalia. So it's kind of an interesting thing. But in English, it was it would be known as the Wolf Festival, which I thought was kind of fun because mm-hmm. Lupercalia, Lupin, Wolf Festival. Ooh. And then, of course, we've talked many times on the show before about how JKR kind of pulled from Roman uh, Roman and Greek mythology. We, we just recently we had a mythology episode. And um, so the ho- the holiday was kind of Lupercalia itself was based on the Romulus and Remus twins and all that stuff. And so it's oh. kind of interesting how that feeds into the 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 naming of characters like that JKR did and then just the in general sort of pulling from Roman narrative. Can you imagine what Remus would have thought if it was still celebrated that way? <laughs> I don't think anybody at Hogwarts would enjoy this version no. of Valentine's Day. I don't Day. think anybody anywhere should enjoy this version. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but you also have some some specifics about valentine's day in england too and rosie i'm sure you can chime in on this. yeah i was excited that we get to talk to rosie about this because i want to know how much of this is true i'm sure a lot of it is just sort of like passed down (laughs) tradition type of stuff but i found out that on the eve of valentine's day women in in england used to place five bay leaves on their pillows one at each corner and then one in the center to bring dreams of their future husbands (laughs) i thought that was great yeah there's plenty of um kind of superstition finding your partner um 
kind of little little myths and games that you can play. Um, I don't know if they're all necessarily related to Valentine's Day. I know there's certainly some kind of apple harvest ones um, where you're supposed to be able to like peel the the peel from the apple um, and throw it into a bucket of water, and the um, apple peel should shape itself into the first letter of your future partner's <laughs> name. Oh wow! <laughs> so it's, it's really easy if your partner ha- happens to be beginning with C or O. <laughs> those are both round letters um, but that's definitely one that i i was told as a child that's funny because when i grew up uh, where i grew up here in the the middle of the u.s we always had the tw- you twist the stem of an apple and for every twist it's yeah a b c d and when the stem yeah you do off, the alphabet yeah had that yeah, one too <laughs> yeah There's, yeah apples and fertility go together because you know adam and eve and that kind of thing yes exactly mm. and i thought this was cool because it talks about them putting the bay leaves on their pillows and it also mentions that alternatively they would leave bay leaves or rose water and place them across their pillows and so i just thought that was kind of fun because mm. at the beginning of this chapter where do we see hermione hiding her valentine from lockhart under yeah. her pillow so i thought that was kind of a nice connection under pillow, very true <laughs> i would not want to sleep on wet bay leaves <laughs> no though. yeah a bit soggy not not so nice and then also, Rosie, are you familiar with Jack Valentine? I am not. Um, yeah, you, this is about a, a story from Norfolk, and yeah, it's quite far away from me. I, yeah, I haven't really heard this one myself, but it's, it sounds interesting. Yeah, I found this. It just says that Jack Valentine acts as sort of like a Santa Claus figure on Valentine's Day in Norfolk, or Norfolk, or however you guys say it. Norfolk. <laughs> and it says that children anxiously wait to hear Jack Valentine knock on their doors, and although they don't ever catch a glimpse of of old Father Valentine, the children always enjoy the candies and small gifts that he leaves on them, sort of like a Saint Nicholas or something that like we would have here, I think. Sure. Or a Santa Claus. Yeah, wow, we, any um... any excuse to have Santa as many times of the year as you can, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> oh wow. I wish I wish we had that here in a lot of parts of America it's just like singles awareness day. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Not Preach. just America. <laughs> <laughs> but I think, yeah, the the idea of giving candies and gifts is obviously still part of Valentine tradition to this day, generally mm. with flowers as well. But that's just general ro- romantic tradition these days. Um, yeah. I yeah, I haven't really heard of of Valentine being a figure. I guess it's kind of like Jack Frost. Mm. You know, you mm. just put Jack in front of the name of something that's related to the thing that you're trying to do um, and create it into a character. Um, <laughs> Yeah, it's an interesting one. I don't know if it still happens in Norfolk. It'll be very interesting to find out if any of our listeners are from Norfolk and can let us know. That would be really cool. Um, but it could be one of those things that happened in the past. As far as I'm aware, kind of Valentine's Day in the UK these days, lots of people think it's an over-commercialised holiday. Lots of people don't like it. It re- reminds people that they're lonely, mm-hmm. all that kind of thing. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Same here. Yep. Um, Same thing in the US. Obviously, if you are in a nice relationship and, yeah... A, Either you will really buy into it and have a really nice time, or you'll be like, do we really have to just prove that we love each other just for this day? Can't we do that all the time? So, yeah. <laughs> I'm not a cynic at all, don't worry. <laughs> it's it's funny because the I think the thing that's clear in this chapter is that as far as Hogwarts goes, and especially maybe looking back at kind of the history of Valentine's and what Patrick said, Hogwarts doesn't seem to generally incorporate Valentine's into their... it's very much a Lockhart thing. (laughs) Well, and it's perfect what you said, Rosie, about how the general sentiment about Valentine's is that people don't like it because it's, you know, it just reminds them of what they don't have. And I feel like 
the 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 joke about Lockhart's version of Valentine's is that it is the epitome of a Hallmark Valentine's. It is yeah. a very commercialized kind of you know uh, it capitalistic is Valentine's. The worst possible thing I could ever think to do. <laughs> it, it's, it's horrific. Yeah, they probably don't have Valentine's celebrations at Hogwarts because the more sensible teachers are afraid of what a bunch of teenagers would turn that into. <laughs> oh, yes. Yes, I'm sure that's a reason why they hold off on it. And I think the only... Because the only time, correct me if I'm wrong, that we see any Valentine's imagery again is Order the Phoenix with Madame Puddifoots. I think so, yeah. And that's that's only yeah. because Harry Equally feels... disastrous. It, Mm-hmm. Yes, it just, yes. Valentine's doesn't have good associations with <laughs> Harry Potter. Um, so, and as I, I thought it was worth mentioning, Micah brought up this line a little bit ago, but uh, Lockhart does tell the students to ask Professor Snape to, to how to make a love potion. And it's funny that he says this because I feel like so many Potter readers have picked up on how the name drops of Love Potion and the mentions of Love Potion in the series evolved over the course of time mm-hmm. and how a lot of readers don't like... There's, they frequently cite Prisoner of Azkaban when Mrs. Weasley is talking to Ginny and Hermione about how she made a Love Potion in school and they're all giggling about it. And a lot of people get really upset about that mention in Prisoner because they feel like it's too flippant and doesn't take into account what was developed about the Love Potion later and that it's very careless of Molly to be talking about Love Potion that way. But I feel like this line also gives us the sense that Love Potion maybe wasn't planned out to be quite what it was. Yeah. You know, for but when it yeah, yeah. when it when it was first developed by Rowling and that it it evolved into something more of a plot point later down the line. But equally, you could read it as an amazing part of circle theory and amazing foreshadowing because mm-hmm. what else is important about Love Potion? Well, it's origin story for Tom Riddle and yeah. also it's huh. the poisoning wow. Ron later on. And yeah, it, it it works very well in this chapter in circle theory and also in the importance of the this origin story that we were talking about earlier. Yeah, 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 that's true. So either happy accident and she didn't plan any of it, or <laughs> deeply layered genius moment. And it Who and knows? it also goes along Hold with on. kind of what Patrick was talking about earlier too. That the first few books take a more j- lighter tone towards things that do evolve into being serious things far mm-hmm. yeah, down absolutely. the line. Um, so I think that's more what it is, less so than rolling. Yeah. <laughs> treating love potion flippantly and with you know not with the care that she would later i think that's that's there's an intentional yeah. aspect to that um there might also be different degrees of love potions yeah exactly that's what i was gonna say yeah i think that's very true. i think we've gotten that sense especially i think we get a little more confirmation of that in half-blood prince because the clarification i think that's often forgotten about fred and george's love potion is that they get and love potion in general is if it's left to sit for too long it gets worse mm-hmm. but if it's just like bought over the counter at a joke shop it's probably not going to last for longer than a few hours of a day so i think it's generally more harmless in that respect yeah um, always check the expiration dates on your potions people. <laughs> very very makes, important <laughs> makes sense but rosie you had a question about this 
Valentine celebration yeah, that Lockhart's put together. Yeah, apart from it being just the worst possible thing you could ever do. <laughs> <laughs> Where does Lockhart get the dwarves that he dresses up as cherubs and sends around the school for the day? Like, does he just have... I don't know, but they're ugly. <laughs> well, yeah, I'm, I mean, does he just have a, a troop of actors that he can hire that just happen to be dwarves? I don't know. It just seems really odd that he can summon them out of nothing for the day and then they disappear and they're all just really surly horrible people <laughs> that don't really want to be sending these phantoms. well i'm sure he sent a letter to the dwarf guild asking for some <laughs> you know some specific helpers and they you know had to uh, correspondence back and forth and uh, i'm sure he got the right people for the job i mean it sounds like he did <laughs> maybe he just uh used one of his memory charms to make them think he had convinced them that they would love to oh. do this maybe <laughs> very true i don't know yeah, Dumbledore probably had to spend school funds on this, huh? Yeah. Like, they, pro- <laughs> they probably had to be paid. I, I always assumed, especially because of the joke that Rowling makes, that these are clearly, like, not, these guys clearly aren't good at their job. Yeah. Um, that it was kind of like this mail order service that is provided that clearly does not hire the best employees for the position. Mail order dwarves. Yep, mail order dwarves for it's your terrible. all your Valentine's Day telegram needs. <laughs> <laughs> so, but uh, of course, there's other important things going on here with this Valentine's celebration, and and uh, something to note is, uh, of course, Ginny is on the sidelines for a lot of this. She is she's visible through narration. She doesn't say anything, but she's here. And uh, <laughs> actually, uh, Micah has a great question about Ginny's involvement in this chapter. Yeah, I wanted to know if she got help with her poem from the diary because there was a Tumblr post that I saw mm. about this, actually. Only Voldemort and his followers called him the Dark Lord. So how would she know about that? Like, maybe the diary told her. It was kind of a stupid idea, but I thought it was really funny thinking of Tom Riddle's diary helping her <laughs> write a love poem for Harry. <laughs> I mean, it's an we kind of get confirmation from Riddle in at the end of the book that he did have to listen to Ginny pine on about Harry. Mm-hmm. So it's very likely that she presented this poem to him <laughs> at some point. If she I need something chance. that rhymes with blackboard. <laughs> I'm looking this up earlier. I found a quote from JKR saying that it was a Ginny thing and not a diary thing. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. 
More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. So let me find that quote real quick. Okay. Oh, really? Yes. How did you know... How did she know to call him the Dark Lord, though? It does rhyme with Blackboard. I think there are other characters that are on the good side that have referred to Dumbledore or to Voldemort as the Dark Lord. They don't yeah. use it often. I think they use it when they reference the fact that that's what his followers refer to him as. Um, that, it's the that's the kind of not- thing that if you're doing lots of news reporting, you probably need a few synonyms because otherwise you just say the name <laughs> over and over again. So yes. And they're, in their case, they're saying, you know who, yeah. over and over again. Or he who must not be named. <laughs> so, yes, this is back in the day when nobody said Voldemort's name. <laughs> I'd still love to know how much exactly that diary helped her with and, like, the kind of stuff she told it and, like, I don't know. It's just a really fun idea. Mm-hmm. Okay, I found the quote that I was looking for. Yeah, go for it. Patrick. And it says that... Um, Despite the general belief that it was Ginny sent him over, a fan asked J.K. Rowling if it was actually Ginny who sent the Valentine. Rowling confirmed so, as well as noting that it was a Ginny Weasley thing and not a Tom Riddle thing. So she has said that. Now, I, I can't find the, the specific exact quote, but this is on uh, fandom.com. Harry, no, it's the Harry Potter wiki. It's on the Harry Potter wiki, so I would think that's true, but I'm not sure. <laughs> the thing to consider is that if they didn't have any forewarning about this Valentine's celebration, Ginny theoretically would have had to have written it that morning. And if she did, she didn't have the diary with her. That's true. Oh, good point. So she may yeah. not have presented the poem to Riddle and he may not have helped her with it. But we do have confirmation that Riddle did have to hear her go on and on about Harry. So <laughs> he's he's had his share of it uh, after... Like for, I'm sure. Uh, so that's, it's, it's not, it's not beyond the realm of possibility that at some point, maybe after she got the diary back, she was like, I wrote him this horrible poem and it went down so badly and it was so embarrassing. <laughs> and also, we don't was, know that the people wrote the poems themselves. Perhaps you just order a singing telegram to go to the person and then the dwarf will make it up. <laughs> it's bad enough that the dwarf could have written it. <laughs> Either way. It's bad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I wonder um, if Myrtle was at school at the same time as Tom, if she, like, had a crush on him. <laughs> I I don't know if we... We don't have any information on Myrtle's crushes at the time. No, just that she really hates the person who was bullying her. Olive Hornby, That's yeah. But there's some important additional things to note about... Ginny uh, being in this scene, and one of the biggest things is that what's what's brilliant about the way that this is done on Rowling's part, and is kind of a disappointing aspect for taking it out of the film. Although I see why they took it out, um, but this is all a great big old distraction from the fact that that what's happened, what's really important in this scene is that Ginny saw Harry with the diary. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, um, and. It's and it's hidden so well. It's hidden it, like when, even reading it this time, knowing that that was the case, I was still having to kind of carefully be like, "Oh, this is what's really going." Because I was so thoroughly entertained by the <laughs> other action that's going on in the chapter, mm-hmm. um, and I think that's how she, that's one of Rowling's great techniques. How she gets you 
with her mysteries is that she sets up a scene that is just thoroughly distracting from what's actually going on. Do we um, think that Draco is paying enough attention during the moment to see her reaction and use that as the sort of way that he came to understand that she was the one that sent it? Like, I can't remember if we talked about that in the last episode, uh, last time we covered this chapter. How Do we know how Draco knew that it was from her? Yeah, I think that's exactly it, is that Malfoy is mistaking Ginny's reaction for the poem. Oh, mm-hmm. Not for yeah. what happened with the diary. And because Malfoy, okay. Harry also goes to the, because this is another clever thing about the narration, is that through Harry, we get the information that Malfoy isn't aware of what the diary is. Mm-hmm. So because he thinks it's Harry's diary, he's not even thinking about how that connects to Ginny and to what his to what his father did with planting the diary in Ginny's cauldron. So because of that, he just thinks it's about the poem, I think, at this point. Because um, Malfoy's actually messing up the plan a little bit if <laughs> by touching all this stuff. Um, he's... He's getting in the midst of his father's naughty little plan. Yeah, um, he gets in the midst of Voldemort's naughty little plan. Yes, later. <laughs> yes, and but yes, another tie-in with with number six exactly. Yeah, we kind of already knew that um, that Draco doesn't know anything about the heir of Slytherin. So this is also a kind of a subversion where we're thinking, okay, maybe this isn't to do with the heir of Slytherin because maybe then Draco would know something about it. Yeah. I don't know. Mm-hmm. It's, it's that kind of thing of maybe it's either making us think we can trust this diary or making us think, or oh, we can't trust this diary at the same time, depending on what we think about Draco. <laughs> well, and, and Rosie, speaking of the year of Slytherin, you had another great point here, another hint drop that's put in here. Yeah, there's a lot of um, quotes scattered throughout this of people saying things that are true, but <laughs> yes. that they're not. Um, so there's a quote which says, perhaps the heir of Slytherin had lost his or her nerve when describing the fact that um, all of the kind of attacks have gone quiet. And it's basically true because Ginny really did lose her nerve and kind of threw away the diary because she was worried about what it was doing. So mm-hmm. again, yeah, it's a very true thing that has been stated. Um, yes, it's correct. And that, and that the reason the... You know, there, there's kind of this f- very devil may care attitude from the narration of, oh, I guess the Chamber of Secrets monster went back to sleep. Everybody's yeah. fine now. <laughs> and it's encouraged by Madame Pomfrey's mention that the mandrakes are almost ready. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so there's this kind of lighter tone that's going into it. But of course, the reason they stopped is because Ginny threw away the diary and it's in Harry's possession now. So it's there, there's, we actually have the reason why the attacks aren't happening anymore um right right in front of us and actually speaking of this connection with Ginny and 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 the diary uh it looks like Micah's got a really interesting connection between Ginny and Riddle I had noticed that she uh her wand is made of you according to Something that I read on the Harry Potter wiki. I can't remember the article. I'll have to go find it later. But they are, uh, they have the same wand wood and they're connected through a Horcrux, the diary, while Harry and Riddle slash Voldemort have the same wand cores. They have the twin cores and they also have a connection through a Horcrux, which in their case is Harry. Mm-hmm. So I just thought that drew some interesting parallels. I w- I wonder, because we, we probably, I'm guessing, and listeners, I'm sure you can confirm for me if one of the hosts can't, but 
I'm guessing the information that Ginny's wand was you came from Pottermore. Um, I would think so. Because I Probably do in not that recall Wandwood's, that. Or, or the the what we had a whole feature on wands, didn't we? At one point, that was. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, we had, and she used to when she she would give more like character profile information. Yeah. On older Pottermore and things like that. I I'm not really sure where Ginny. I know that's true. I know that is correct. That her wandwood is you. I just don't know where that information came from, but. I wonder if that was something, a connection that she saw after the fact, or if that was something she had in her plans beforehand. Because that is a really great I, connection that her and Riddle share something about their wand, and then the diary, and as a horcrux, and then Harry and Riddle share something with their wand and a horcrux. That's really interesting. Mm. That speaks to the connection that the two of them are going to develop over that issue in Order of the Phoenix when they start to deepen their relationship um, over a shared trauma. So, Speaking of Ginny uh, and the diary, I found this Tumblr post a while ago that I thought was funny. Someone had said, book borrowing is the biggest form of true love. It's like, here's a piece of my soul that I think you would enjoy. <laughs> and someone put a drawing of Tom Riddle and Jenny with the diary. <laughs> it is it is a more sinister view of how a book can pull you in, isn't it? <laughs> it is a bit of a spin on that. Um, but yeah, I, that's a really great connection. I wonder if that was something that Rowling intended or if that's something that kind of ended up being another one of her little happy accidents. Um and but I think that's a great way of you know this is why I this is why I continue to smash my Thor cup and say another when it comes to <laughs> Ginny because I feel like these kinds of things don't get fleshed out enough for Ginny for us to make anything of it. Yeah. Um. Like it's and she Ginny is poor Ginny. She's such a plot point in this book. She's not really a character. Um. She's she's kind of a prop for the plot. She's too shy and nervous to actually do anything properly and is, yeah, being manipulated the whole way through, so doesn't really get much of a chance to be herself. Yes. She only has, like, two lines in the movie at this (laughs) point at the beginning and the end, and every time we see her, she she doesn't say anything. She spends most of the movie just being an awkward legend and <laughs> yes yes and just making the most horrified mortified faces so and the book really doesn't give us much more to go off of than that i think every time she is mentioned she doesn't talk um so it's it's a bit of a shame but at least we'll get to see her farther down the line a little <laughs> bit whoa hey everyone cat here uh michael rosie and patrick asked me to apparate over here and wish you guys all a fantastic 2019. I'm sorry I haven't been on an episode yet this year, but it's your lucky day. You get to listen to my lovely voice right now. So 2019, I don't know if you guys follow me on Twitter. If you do, you'll know that I've been talking a lot about my health as of last year. I found out that I had, this is a little gross, so bear with me, but I had a stomach ulcer. Not a big one, a little tiny one, but it was preventing me from eating a lot of foods over the last year. I had a lot of health problems and uh, I went through a lot of food allergies and the like. And so in 2019, it is gone, by the way. And in 2019, I've really made a lot of 
new health goals. And health and wellness is really a top priority for me this year. And I wanted to talk to you guys a little bit about our sponsor for this episode, which is Care of Vitamins. Care of Vitamins, for me, have been incredibly helpful in keeping on track with my goals for 2019. And, you know, those resolutions that we all make and we have a hard time keeping, I got to tell you, Care of really helps me, at least, stay on top of that. And they actually have this super cool online quiz where you can go and ask you all sorts of questions about like your diet and your goals and your lifestyle choices. And it literally takes like five minutes. You can do it literally anywhere. And it is scientifically backed vitamin and supplement recommendations that you get after you finish the quiz. And like 90% of people fall short of the FDA recommended guidelines for at least one vitamin or nutrient. So definitely find out where you're lacking and take care of's online quiz and get back on track in 2019 with your health goals. And, you know, in this day and age, who really likes to go to the store and like try to talk to somebody and like get advice and really Care of Vitamins is the easiest and most convenient options in order to get customized, personalized Care of subscription box. It literally gets sent right to your door every month with your personalized daily packs, which is perfect for anybody who is busy or just really, like I said, doesn't like to go to the pharmacist. So if all of this sounds super awesome to you, then let me tell you how you guys can go get it. So you have to go take that online quiz, like, you know, they need to know what kind of vitamins you want, right? Okay. I had a lot of fun taking that personally. And my goal was really to get more sleep. Because as I said, um, health can really affect sleep much more than you think that it can. And I didn't quite realize how crappy my sleep was until I was up until four in the morning and sleeping until 11 or 12 in the afternoon. And working maybe 20 hours a week on a good week because of my bad health. So definitely sleep was a big one for me. So go over there, take the quiz, check it out. If you go, uh, you can get 50% off your first month of personalized care of vitamins from this awesome code I'm going to tell you. Okay, so take advantage of this month's special new year offer. This is only good for this month, guys. You get 50% off your first month of personalized care of vitamins. Go to takecareof.com and enter promo code OPEN50, O-P-E-N-5-0. Again, takecareof.com, promo code O-P-E-N-5-0. And you'll get 50% off your first month of personalized care of vitamins. And listen... If you're like me and you have a hard time actually swallowing vitamins, they have these really awesome packs called, uh, they're like sticks essentially, and they have one for energy, they have one for stress, they have one for sleep. So I got the vitamins as well, but I have been living on these sleep packs and they have a really awesome mix of super awesome vitamins which help you like achieve your goals. And this sleep one, I'll tell you, I take it and 20 minutes later, my, my pillow is calling me. I am ready to go to sleep, and I always sleep really soundly and really awesome on them. So the 50% works off on those two. So head over to takecareof.com, enter promo code OPEN50, O-P-E-N-5-0, and you can get 50% off your first month of personalized vitamins from Care Of. Okay, I'm going to head back to Diagon Alley. Back to the show. Bye, Michael. Bye, Rosie. Bye, Patrick. 
Bye, everyone. Talk to you soon. We're here with the diary. We've got to talk about this diary because this is this thing is important. Um, this is indeed, aside from Harry, who we're not going to count when we talk about it because he's a little different. He's always the throws a wrench into it. <laughs> yes, he's 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 a really complicated one of these. So he's he's for another time. But this is putting that aside. This is our first. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Horcrux. We are, we are touching a Horcrux. Don't touch that, Harry. It's dangerous. <laughs> And the only sensible person in this bathroom who says that is Ron. <laughs> and Ron Weasley of all people. <laughs> but then Ron just doesn't trust any book. <laughs> That's good, true. Good point. But Ron is the is the one who's talking to Harry and he says it might be dangerous. And, you know, he's talking about other books his father and ministry people have come across with. But it was always funny to me that Hermione's usually the mistrustful one, and then when they show it to her, she's just like, "Ooh, it might have hidden powers." Puzzles. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah, Patrick, you had you had noticed that too. Yeah, it just struck me as weird while I was reading that that they act in the opposite way I would expect them to react, and I wonder if that just kind of shows their growth over over the course of the series, or is this just a case of like we said kind of earlier Hermione is still new to the wizarding world and so she finds things fascinating and she hasn't yet been burned too badly by anything to the point of being coming suspicious of everything right away mm. I wonder if she's also a bit bored cuz she's been stuck in the hospital wing for yeah, a while that's probably so true too <laughs> You present her with a mysterious object ooh shiny. <laughs> shiny Well the funny thing about Hermione in this book especially compared to the last one is that she is like she is like deep in this mystery she's all about it like mm-hmm. she she wants to know the answer and she's very suspicious of obvious suspects versus sorcerer's philosopher's stone where she is just like no that's stupid that's not <laughs> right it's not snape don't be silly like she just she's very practical in 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 sorcerer's stone about the mystery and she doesn't buy into it very easily but chamber of secrets she buys into it 
pretty hard. It's not snake. So and then she... Half Blood Prince, she completely throws it away again. So mm-hmm. yeah, yes. she she doesn't trust that book at all. Uh. Well, the difference kind of is that in this case, in Chamber of Secrets, there's tangible evidence of something funny being mm. afoot. You know, there are people being petrified, and so she takes she sees that as opportunity to solve a mystery rather than creating a mystery or not being able to see any tangible evidence of the mystery. Yeah, that's true. I do think but it's then funny this could though, just that... be a blank diary. There's no mystery about an empty book. I do think it's funny that she goes so like so hard into it as to suggest Polyjuice Potion is like a first solution yeah. to something <laughs> <laughs> like that. That seems like a pretty extreme first solution to find out information. Yeah, I um, bet that's just she was reading that book at the time and thought, "Ooh, that sounds interesting. I could do that." Mm. I'm feeling a bit rebellious. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I, I think there's there is something to be said about how that evolution occurs, especially with Hermione. Um, because she does, she does kind of go back and forth. I think based on a lot of what you said, Patrick, that when she has enough evidence to go off of, she'll take it seriously. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But if she has nothing really to go off of other than suspicion, which is Ron's forte, she won't take that seriously. I mean, the funny thing about this, though, is that Ron facetiously, but nonetheless correctly guesses the solution because when they go to visit the trophy room and they're talking about Riddle's trophy, he's just like, oh, maybe he killed Myrtle. That would have done us all a favor. Isn't it, isn't there some book that has laws of Harry Potter? It's like, Ron is usually wrong except when he's joking. Yeah, when he's joking and anything to do with prophecies. All of his prophecies Mm -hmm. are correct. Yes, Ron, when Ron jokes or when Trelawney makes a false prophecy, they actually have some merit to them. Um, so that's, yeah. Th- and this one, he got it right on the head. Mm-hmm. Uh, he solved it, um, which is funny. And it's just fantastic foreshadowing on JKR's part, which, I mean, we all are aware oh, of yeah. that when you read it the second time. But no one could, you don't take Ron seriously, especially in these first couple of books when no. you read it. Oh, yeah. Anytime Ron, every anytime Ron's actually saying something, it's like, okay, here comes another Ron joke or something. So when he says something like this, you just glance right past it. But then when you reread the book again for the first time, it's like, oh my gosh, what an incredible foreshadowing. Yeah. Well, and he's, I think the the reason the technique works so well on Rowling's part is because she proceeds to immediately undermine Ron by having him not understand that the diary was written 50 years ago and that that might provide a clue. Um, so it's, it, it, it like, and Harry actually understands what Hermione's talking about for once. Yeah, yeah. Harry gets right on that train and Ron doesn't. And that's frequently how the conversations go with the three of them, where mm-hmm. Harry and Hermione will make a connection and Ron won't see it. Um, and then Ron will kind of like the, the thing is Ron points out the obvious, which in that case is that the diary doesn't have anything written in it. So there is no clue. But Hermione kind of starts to pursue the line of thinking that Harry continues on once he gets an additional hint. So I think that's why Ron's uh, joking is done so well by Rowling is because it's always undermined almost immediately. But speaking of Riddle's special award, Rosie, I think you had a really fair question about that special award. Yeah, so when they're looking in this trophy cabinet, they see kind of multiple awards. He has a special award... He's obviously still on the list of head boys. That's not going to change. Um, but he also has the Medal for Magical Merit. And yeah, just the idea that if you know that this 
boy has turned into one of the darkest wizards of all time and has killed lots and lots of people and has done horrible things, why would you keep his awards up in your trophy cabinet? Because I don't think they did. I mean, when Hagrid is, like, refusing to say his name and talking about him to Harry, he obviously went to school with Tom Riddle. I don't think he knows he turned into Voldemort. Sure, it's possible. That's something that we have kind of a loose bit of information on about how many people knew. and But the point, I think, still stands because Dumbledore's the one who's in charge of the school right now. Yeah. And he, he knows. theoretically... <laughs> yeah, he definitely knows. So he theoretically would have had them pulled... Cause yeah, I, I, and maybe, maybe it's because we are in an era of beginning, at least here in the U.S., we have been questioning a lot of our national monuments and pulling a few down, um, with the realization that, oh yeah, these were bad people. We probably shouldn't have monuments of them. So I don't know if that's more of a, an old fashioned thing or just kind of nobody's been keeping the trophy room up for a while. That's kind of what I would think. Yeah. That it's just more of a case of, the trophy room is just this giant room. Someone wins the trophy. It's exciting. They throw it in there. And then until some kid comes along and barf slugs all over it, they don't really <laughs> worry about it. You know? Yeah, yeah. Fair enough. But I I think it's a fair question. I think it's, I mean, obviously it's there for helpful plot point information. I think yeah. the best answer you can get because Dumbledore is in charge mm. Is that it's just Dumbledore doing one of his Dumbledore things that nobody else understands? <laughs> yeah, Dumb Dumbledore. Maybe it wasn't there until Ron had to go polish the trophies, and then Dumbledore was like, "I'm going to Here's put this trophy here <laughs> for no reason whatsoever. I'm so mysterious." That's what <laughs> happened. We got it. <laughs> it's it's the obviously whole, yes it's it's the whole it's the whole omnipotent Dumbledore theory right <laughs> he just knows where to put things when they need to be put there also just his name I mean we've just been talking about Hermione being <laughs> fascinated by the riddle of the book and having to solve it and yeah it, it's riddle you can't really get more of a pin in the name there than <laughs> hey look this is a riddle to solve <laughs> it's it's good though isn't it it's yeah. fun it's it's i i don't know it's very batman <laughs> i it's, it is it's kind of funny that his initials are tm because i can absolutely see him being like riddle with a trademark symbol yeah <laughs> <laughs> but also tm is basically tom so you've you've basically got the entire name there just missing one letter already <laughs> well and we have a few uh points about riddle here and uh micah you had a really good one to start us off i had noticed that he's really good at acting like a good guy i mean when we see him later in half-blood prince you have the added background of knowing who he is and what he becomes so there's a little bit more of an eerie air there but here especially the fact that Harry is completely convinced he's really good at acting like a perfectly innocu- innocuous heroic character. Did anybody not trust Riddle the first time they read the book? I think he's so creepy. <laughs> <laughs> I can't remember what I thought when I read it the first time. It was a very, very long time ago now. But just, just reading it again and, and reading the way he speaks, it's the perfect example of that kind of gaslighting 
knows exactly what he's saying, really manipulative, but really charismatic mm. way of speaking. That, mm-hmm. yeah, he, he knows how to lull you into a, a false sense of security, but he's also choosing his words super carefully and really putting the meaning in exactly the right place to get you to do exactly what he wants. I honestly don't remember if I trusted him the first time I read the books because I just remember after reading the first book, I got so into the series <laughs> that I forgot to worry about spoilers and was watching like YouTube videos and looking at memes and stuff. So I got spoiled for a lot of plot points. Like there were a couple of characters. I knew that they died before I knew who they were. <laughs> but yeah, it was kind of sad. I don't remember if I got spoiled on this or not, but if I didn't, I don't think i felt particularly mistrustful of him i was just a little doubtful that it was actually hagrid mm. yeah I, I remember specifically thinking that it was hagrid like i remember feeling betrayed in that moment at the very end of the chapter you fell for it yeah oh that's 100%. a minded sinker yeah i mean i think <laughs> at the time when this came out i was probably 12 i think too so we didn't have any youtube or anything like yeah. that back then but I, I remember really taking everything in these books as face value, or at least the first few of them. I think just because I was young enough at the time that that's just how I interpreted it all. So that's why it was such a shock at the end. Yeah, you don't expect books to lie to you. And no. this is a book that's lying to you within a book that's lying to you. It's yeah. <laughs> Exactly. I, I, I definitely remember when I read it that I, I, fell, f- I fell for Tom's charisma because Harry did. And so yeah. I and I often went along with Harry like just fully. I didn't really question Harry's view mm-hmm. as the narrator. Maybe you should. And have. I really should have, but I wasn't <laughs> trained to yet. So I just I went along with what Harry said, but at the same time I remember thinking I I figured that if Hagrid because the evidence seemed clear that Hagrid had a monster. But I figured yeah. if that was the case, that it must have been a misunderstanding. Yeah, I think that's kind of what I was thinking too. Like I didn't, I didn't think Hagrid yeah, was actually the somehow. Yeah, yeah, I didn't. Yeah, I didn't think that Hagrid was dealing with like had done something on purpose or hurt anybody on purpose. I thought that was that must have been an accident. But yeah, yeah mm-hmm. I was, I was still willing to trust Riddle. But it's funny that kind of what you said, Rosie, because. Rereading it now, I see everything that you saw. I feel like the really big giveaway line is when Harry asks Riddle what happened when he's writing in the diary. And Riddle's writing comes back and Harry notes that it's very untidy and a little more hectic. Like he's desperate to tell him. And it, it comes off, I think, when you don't know, it's meant to come off as... Riddle's excited to help Harry solve this mystery. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But in truth, it's it's because he's he's and Riddle admits this at the end of the book, he's freaking out because Harry picked up his diary and he was not expecting that to happen. Mm. Um yeah. it's he got everything he wanted and now he's just gotta he's reel him in. Yep. Good to know that even Voldemort freaks out sometimes. <laughs> Voldemort thinks, it's Harry freaking Potter. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, it's Harry Potter. Oh my god, oh my god. <laughs> I got his autograph. Oh no, Ginny's been rubbing off on me. <laughs> Part of her soul is in him now. Yeah. But even before that line, um, like the, the second thing that Tom says to him is, I always knew that there would be those who would not want this diary read. Mm. And like, to an extent that could be that people 
like dark people are trying to hide the truth and are trying to suppress secrets and that kind of thing. So yeah, we could trust that. That could be a good line. But also like if someone doesn't want the diary to be read, that means there's some secret in there that probably shouldn't be read. And yeah, it, it's right from that very early stage. There's he, he's working against people in more authority. So you've got that kind of odd power struggle being suggested to this young teenage boy who's, oh, someone doesn't run, want you to read this, so you really need to listen and you need to find out more. It, it's it's really clever at the manipulation of people would not want you knowing this, so I'm going to tell you and you're going to be in with a secret. Maybe the reason why that works, again, so well is because Rowling's done a great job by this point in the story of setting up that Harry gets the sense that the teachers know more about the chamber than yeah. than anybody else, and that and the Harry's teachers, desperate to know. Yes, especially especially after what happens to Colin, and mm-hmm. Harry gets confirmation th- uh, from eavesdropping on Dumbledore that yes, the Chamber of Secrets is real and something is actually happening. I think that's that's more of that willingness to to trust appear over your teachers in that case is because riddle and and there's a relatability aspect that's happening too and it's gonna and this is where this whole thing begins where rolling starts noting similarities between riddle and harry she does it already when they meet because Mm -hmm. when harry goes into the diary and sees the memory his immediate reaction is oh he's taller than me but he has the same hair color as me and so she's yeah. already like pulling in similarities. They look similar. They have similar feelings, and and we'll get into that in this, in a moment. But yeah, the the similarities between the two boys is startling. Yeah, and well, and then and of course, you know, Harry probably has much admiration for the fact that Riddle sneaks around as much as he does. They, yeah, <laughs> they, they kind of operate the same. And he does it without an invisibility cloak. <laughs> yeah, wow. he's just really he can just stand really still. Apparently. I also think that's an, another really important thing about the awards is Harry's also already made the connection that this person is probably Muggleborn because the diary was bought in Muggle London. Mm-hmm. And then he sees special awards for this Muggleborn person who's won these awards for services to the school and has magical merit and is head boy. So it's proof that a Muggleborn um, boy can achieve really great things at this school. And when you've already got all of these this attacks on Muggleborns going on, you've got this this anti-Muggle sentiment going on in the school on on some level. It's interesting for him to be kind of connecting with that personality and I'm half blood. I'm Muggleborn. Um Hermione is Muggleborn. Here is an example of someone who from the past as humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, 
according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. 50 years ago has succeeded really well and perhaps I could learn from him and, and can be a great award-winning Muggleborn in the same way. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So we've already got that layer before he even talks to the diary. Well, and we've had that drilled into us in this book oh, yeah. with the introduction of the term mudblood and how yeah. Malfoy uses that against Hermione. And I think the that's where that, like, that that's the brilliance of how she introduces that and keeps that concept in our heads for when this occurs and how, yeah. how it's a great, again, to a great... Uh, trick to make us think that Riddle might be sympathetic because he was supposedly a Muggleborn who struggled, yeah. you know, to and and persevered and won lots of awards and made a name for himself at Hogwarts. And oops, actually, no, he's Hitler. Oopsie daisy. <laughs> um, so, <laughs> can that be the episode title? Oops, he's oops, Hitler. he's Hitler. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that seems to be a pretty popular theme in Rowling's works. Is oops, he's Hitler. Um, but uh, since we've been talking about the diary a little bit and it's and how it operates and we'll get back to riddle but let's 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 examine that a little more because i wanted to ask do we think that rolling had the whole horcrux plan worked out by this point are there any inconsistencies with how a horcrux is supposed to operate or what it does that any of us noticed or does it fit perfectly the horcrux generally kind of, like the operation of the horcrux generally covers about 3 pages in the book when Harry first touches it and starts writing in it. And then, interestingly, the Horcrux actually operates like a pensive, mm-hmm. almost exactly like a pensive. Yeah. So when we've discussed Horcruxes in the past, we talked about kind of diminishing size and, and being halved each time as opposed to being split into seven straight away and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so... With this Horcrux being kind of the first one that he created, um, or near the first, I think there's a little bit of debate about that. Um, mm. I've always seen it as this is the strongest Horcrux. It's got the most riddle left in it, um, and therefore is is basically based on half of his personality at the time and has all of the memories and has all of that stuff kind of attached to it. Yeah, that was always my sense, that he could basically come to life and do all of these things because it was the most powerful horcrux it had the most of his soul in it instead of just making people yeah. right and one would think that if he was able to do this with subsequent horcruxes he would have probably found a way to incorporate more of himself into them because if he could create an object that could potentially help bring him back rather than just you know, prevent him from being destroyed completely, you would assume that he would have done that with each one of the Horcruxes in some way. Yeah. I wonder also, it being a diary, whether maybe it was a magical diary before it was a Horcrux, and maybe it was him recording part of his history, part what he was doing at school within this diary, mm-hmm. um, and then that became the Horcrux rather than him just choosing a, a random object. Because he chooses important objects in the future, so maybe this was important to him as his first kind of success against the Muggleborns whilst he was at school. And he's got all of that diary stuff kind of written throughout that, throughout that year. Mm-hmm. Um, in which case, maybe there is a charm on it that makes it more like a pensive with, with the, the ink disappearing and all of that kind of thing. Maybe it's more than just a Horcrux in this book. 
I was thinking that too because we I think y'all are right when you say that the the other horcruxes could also have the power and we've seen that in with some of them that the other horcruxes have the power to use their use their imbibed powers to take possession of an individual and mm-hmm. eventually create a proper vessel for Riddle or Voldemort's soul to live in or even make a duplicate of him. But I think that what Rosie said is what makes the diary special because it is a diary and because it's got written memories of like what I'm suspecting. If I were to theorize, I would say that Riddle did write this as a diary and that he did disguise the diary entries so you couldn't read them. And that was just what he did as he was taking, as he was using this as a diary. In like a, a Marauder's Map style of disappearance. Yes, yeah. Mm-hmm. It was it was more of a traditional magical object that he had put more basic spells on. But then when he decided to make it a Horcrux, I think the fact that it had all those memories in there fed the Horcrux in a unique way. Man, I want to read that diary. <laughs> I want to know what like, <laughs> teenage middle is. Writing in his diary. I imagine Dumbledore would have been greatly interested in reading it as well if he was able to. Can you imagine how much that would have helped with the whole Horcrux thing? I mean, if Dumbledore had found and been able to read that diary, we probably just would have had Hagrid being like, you're a Horcrux, Harry. (laughs) (laughs) I'm guessing that I I imagine if Dumbledore tried to recover any of that information, I'm assuming that the Basilisk Fang just destroyed yeah. it yeah damn it harry <laughs> <laughs> yeah that was our one shot that's all the memory <laughs> all the information he needed was in there um yeah this this may not be yeah because as as rosie mentioned this may not be the first horcrux that riddle made it's possible and likely that the ring is the first one mm-hmm. um because he had killed as far as we can tell from the timeline he had killed his family by this point the um, ring was the summer after this, wasn't it? I think it there's was a the bit su- of contention with the. There's timeline. contention on that. It, yeah, yeah, it's not certain which came first between the diary and the ring. Most people put diary first because we meet it first, and we think that it. Yeah, the the ring could either be the summer before or the summer after. Yeah, it, it's complicated. Well, if he had the ring now, then don't you think Harry would have noticed him like wearing something like that? Because in Half Blood Prince, it does say that he. That was is wearing very it. true. I think it's more that he he doesn't create the Horcrux in his fifth year. So we see this attack, um, we see the memory, but that's not the same time that the Horcrux is made. Um, mm. He gets the idea for Horcruxes right. later, mm, and whether course, he yeah. he puts yeah whether he creates this this diary into a Horcrux before or after the ring is the question. The tough part too is that he also gets the information from Slughorn about how many times you can split your soul later. He gets, he's, and he's asking it. It's interesting that that piece is interesting because when Riddle asks Slughorn that question, we're not really sure if he's asking because he doesn't, because he hasn't tried it yet or because he's already tried it and he wants to know just how far you can go with it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. My personal view is that he has 
by the time that he has that conversation with Slughorn, he has created the diary Horcrux as a test. So he's he's learned about Horcruxes in the book at school. He had his diary on him, so he's created his first Horcrux. And then he's killed his, his family and has the ring and thinks, hang on a second, I could I could do more. I could create a second Horcrux. I could create seven Horcruxes. And is just checking that that's going to work before he creates the second Horcrux, which is the ring. Yeah, my theory was always that even when I read Half-Blood Prince for the first time, I was thinking that, okay, so he's wondering how far exactly he can go with this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's it's hard to surmise, just especially with the messy timeline a little bit. Listeners, I'm sure I, I'm looking forward to long thread debates about <laughs> what the timeline looks like. I'm sure y'all can pull out some... some uh, uh, literary proof from each of the books about this because because of all of the uh, connections. I would say, too, that it's possible, possible, that, you know, okay, one, we could say that that was an oopsies and that Rowling just l- kind of glossed over the detail of the ring because she maybe didn't have that planned yet. Or two, the reason Harry notices the ring in book six is because the ring has been visually called to yeah. in book six before he sees... Tom wearing it. Um, Harry knows the significance of the ring before he sees it again. So I'm wondering if maybe Harry just wouldn't notice something like that. It would have been fun if he had. I think he he definitely hasn't killed his family yet. This is only his, this is Tom's fifth year and it's the summer of his 16th year that he goes looking for his family. So it, it's definitely at least a year early. And if you think about the fact that if Harry would have noticed it, in this same memory, we we see Tom talking to Dumbledore. Dumbledore would definitely notice something like that. So Tom was probably much more careful at school about stuff like wearing the ring or or even carrying the diary out in the open. That's a good point. Well, and that's the funny thing with Riddle is that we kind of also get a picture that simultaneously he is crafty and careful, but where he often slips up is because he's prideful and boastful and that he does it in subtle ways by wearing things or changing his name amongst friends or Mm -hmm. things that aren't maybe noticeable. Especially amongst the slug club. Yes. Yeah. So things that wouldn't be maybe noticeable to everybody at school, but would be noticed by staff. To some degree, especially Dumbledore, because we also get an appearance from Dumbledore in this chapter uh, with a little bit longer hair than Jude Law had. Um, <laughs> but it's OK, because this is only, only a little, little bit. bit. It's still a few years down the line. My, so it's OK. My only complaint about Fantastic <laughs> Dumbledore is that he is not ginger. <laughs> He's still He's- not ginger. He's still not quite as ginger as we would want him to be. But he's he, and of course, he's dressed a little too muggle. Demurely. Yes, but... Uh, but apparently there's a reason for that that will hopefully be addressed. Yes, supposedly like there's a reason for, for we'll everything. I kind of like... I mean, I know the costume doesn't really fit, but I kind of like it's, it. It's very suave. It, yes. It's, it's very 1920s. It, it works for being ostentations-ish for the time in just being very smartly dressed. And it will be interesting to see how this moves along because, of course, the funny thing is these these timelines will eventually crisscross because we are... Currently, we're not quite to 1945 yet. Grindelwald is still in power, and Dumbledore has not moved against him yet. We are in about 1943. 
mm-hmm. if things are correct. So we've still got two years before that. This is all going to happen during the Fantastic Beast timeline um, because, as Rowling has told us, the series will end in 45. Um, I want a cameo from Tom Riddle and Fantastic Beasts so bad. <laughs> I'm sure they will appease us with that one. I have a very strong feeling that will probably happen. I thought a funny line that I that I noted this time is when Harry's writing to Riddle and asking him about what happened with the chamber, Riddle says, in my fifth year, the chamber was opened and the monster attacked several students, finally killing one. And I thought that was funny because... That also implies that the attacks from the previous 50 years ago kind of went the same way as this round where a bunch of people, I guess, were coincidentally looking through mirrors or water and didn't die. (laughs) (laughs) Because it all seems to be more of a happy accident, this go around, that that everybody survived. Um, So the fact that that the Chamber of Secrets monster the the basilisk keeps missing its target seems a little unlikely i honestly didn't notice that but now i'm wondering how that might have happened i mean i know teenagers spend a lot of time looking in mirrors (laughs) so that could be part of it but maybe maybe it was all maybe it was all of in a fixed location last time maybe the basilisk came out of the bathroom every single time and everybody was always looking in a mirror when it happened or in flooded water because it's always coming out of the pipes. They, that's true. Maybe they looked in the water. Mm-hmm. It's a stretch, <laughs> but we're gonna go with it because. Or I maybe can't re- Riddle just never really knew how to use the snake. <laughs> 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 no, you have to look at them, Basilisk. Don't they? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm not. I'm not sure about that one. That was a funny line because <laughs> I was just like, oh, yeah, that's weird that that would have happened so. Well, like so well before that, other yeah. people actually survived the attack. Bad basilisk, go back to your <laughs> no muggleborns, <laughs> no treats for you. Tom's very aware that the school has to close, and like, uh, yeah, when when Myrtle dies, it's very much okay. We have to stop now because things are getting out of hand. So maybe he never actually intended to kill anyone. He just wanted to spread the fear and, and try and do as much damage as he could without the school being closed. Mm. I don't know. Maybe there was a bit of planning to it, but it seems unlikely. That's interesting. Well, I think he stopped the attacks because in this conversation with the headmaster at the time that he's having in the memory, he's asking him about um, staying at Hogwarts during For the, the summer. summer. Yeah. And the headmaster says that it wouldn't be safe with the attacks. And so he's, uh, oh, what's the line? Sir, if the person was caught, if it all stopped, um, he's, you know, asking if, if it all stopped, then maybe he'd be allowed yeah. to stay. Yeah, I was, I was wondering about that, because y'all talked about that on episode 16, too. And I'm, I was curious if, like, that with, with you bringing that up, uh, Rosie, about if Riddle maybe didn't, think about that repercussion as humans we're naturally driven by the search for better but when it comes to hiring the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all don't search match with indeed when i was looking to hire someone it was so slow and overwhelming 
I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, conditions apply. See website for details. Yeah, he's just having fun attacking Muggleborns. He's, mm-hmm. he's not really thinking about, oh, hang on, if I make the school unsafe for everyone, then I can't stay here. But at the same time, if you just look at how he words this sentence that you pulled from the quote here, Michael, it says... The monster attacks several students, finally killing one. And that you can read that in such a way that he's saying that it built up to a point where they had to do something about it. But you could also read it as if you think about it from Tom's point of view, he's saying it kept failing and finally it happened the way it was supposed to happen. So to me, Mm. when I read that, it's way more menacing than I initially thought it was. Brilliant double meaning. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But yeah, and I think the maybe the piece where it's it shows that riddle riddle had the audacity to believe that he could stay over the summer because the mm-hmm. reason he's talking to dippet is because he wrote him a letter asking him if he could stay even with all of the chaos going on he's special he knows he's special mm-hmm. he knows all the teachers love him and he is fairly arrogant so i can completely imagine him thinking well, if anyone was going to get special treatment, it would be me. Mm-hmm. Well, the way Dippet responds, oh, yeah. it almost sounds like he would be open to the idea if the attacks weren't happening. The funny thing about Dippet, too, with his response uh, that I noticed this time is, and again, obviously there's an element that's for plot, that's to let us get some background on Riddle through Dippet. Right. But because Dippet asks for the background he asks for, it kind of suggests that Dippet doesn't have that close of a relationship with Riddle. Mm-hmm. Um because he, he's kind of asking for like, oh, what what happened to your parents again? You live in a Muggle orphanage, is that right? Oh yeah, yeah, I forgot about that. Granted, well, you know, not every headmaster is as close with their students as, as Dumbledore. Dumbledore. <laughs> fair, very fair, and and I mean, I think we get just a sense even from his name, and Dumbledore talks about this later on too. That Dippet lives up to his name. He is a bit of a dip. Um, he's not <laughs> the best headmaster that Hogwarts apparently ever had. Um, and he's a bit, he, he, he missed some obvious things according to Dumbledore. Um, so I can, I can let that one slide, but, and we know that the other teachers have talked fondly about Riddle too, and they've probably talked to Dippet about Riddle. So I can imagine that Riddle just thought he was going to get preferential treatment, especially because by this point too, he's possibly, we don't know what the, 
Magical Merit Award was for, but he might have already won that by this point. Um, he may be already recognized for his yeah his school talents. Um, but of course, this all ties back in the end to poor Hagrid. Um, who, as we mentioned earlier, is brilliantly revealed because the whole time that he is referred to by Riddle, Riddle calls him by his first name, which was not as commonly known by the time Chamber of Secrets came out. Hagrid had said his first name in the first book, but it wasn't something that was repeated very often. And it's done as a very clever reveal so that at the end, when Harry says Hagrid's name, that's the fun little shocker. Um... And, of course, we see a giant, many-legged, pincered monster crawl out of this box in the dungeon. Not to mention the um, pincers. Yes. but Well, speaking of the pincers, you had something to say about that, Micah. Yeah. I was wondering, I know Harry's not that bright. I mean, there are hundreds of reasons he's not in Ravenclaw. But how did he rea not realize that Slytherin's monster... You know, the snake house wasn't a spider. <laughs> I can't really say. Uh, first, to be fair, I actually don't think we give Harry enough credit for how smart he is in the series. This is maybe not one of his best moments. But the interesting <laughs> thing here is Riddle, or Rowling does what she does uh, in... She does this trick a lot. She's My favorite one is in... Prisoner of Azkaban. She describes something that you should obviously know what the description is, but she doesn't say what it is. Mm -hmm. She gives you the perfect description of a spider, but she does not say it is a spider. Um, and I think if you saw a giant spider, you'd know it was a giant spider, right? I mean, like that's <laughs> yeah. something you just know. She does it again yeah. in Prisoner of Azkaban with when the Bogart turns into the moon for Lupin, and she describes the moon in ways that you could describe the moon, but she does not say it is the moon. Mm -hmm. Which, by the way, I think the moon bogart was way too obvious in the movie. Just a little rant there. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah it's no. it's Well, they add the clouds onto it, which I yeah. think gives it more of a giveaway. But there's, there's an element of kind on. of like little white lies in Rowling's writing where she's not lying to you. She's just omitting important information. Um. Because if she gives it to you that easily, it's going to ruin everything. Well, and like I said earlier, I remember at the time really specifically believing that the this was the monster. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, because we don't – I think the thing – it is kind of funny that nobody really catches on to the fact that the monster is probably a snake because it's Slytherin's monster. Absolutely. I think the whole world will go just, no, it's not going to be that obvious. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. Well, and uh, the thing, too, when we find out more about basilisks through Fantastic Beasts, they are not a common animal. Yeah. And it's not like Gryffindor went around with a lion. and Well, and throughout this book, the th Ron and the spiders is a through theme of this book. So we are reminded, as being a reader, you are reminded that the spiders are there pretty consistently, even at the beginning, if they're just normal spiders. Mm -hmm. I suppose yeah. that's true. Yeah, there's a build-up. There's a build-up to the spider visual more so than there is to the snake visual. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. Oh, and speaking of Slytherin, I had another question. I was wondering, did Harry notice Riddle's Slytherin tie? Because he would have been wearing one. 
And Harry seems to be mistrustful of most Slytherins, thanks to Draco and his gang. So canonically, that's a fair question, but canonically in the books, the students don't wear house identifiers. Um, they really? Don't, I thought for, it was mentioned somewhere. They don't wear house ties. They don't wear house crests. As far as we know in the books, that was a movie edition from what I recall. Um, that's... I think that's become such a prominent visual from the movies. Um, but I don't think they're... Because the thing is, when they go to Madame Malkin's, they don't get... They just get Hogwarts robes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they yeah. don't get house-specific merchandise. That's been so drilled into us by things like, you know, the like Leavesden Studios and, yeah. and the Harry <laughs> Potter Park, where you can go get your go get your Gryffindor robes or your Slytherin hats or your... Ravenclaw socks or your Hufflepuff floaties. I don't know. There's so many things now that <laughs> that have house branding on them. But I think as far as we know in the books, they don't have branding on uh, house branding on their robes. Um, I don't really know how. I mean, theory like that, that seems kind of crazy because the teachers just seem to know what house everybody's in. You have to remember um, there's only a handful of students in each year, Michael. <laughs> yes, there's only like five. <laughs> Didn't they mention in Order of the Phoenix when Hermione and Ron get the prefix badges? Did they mention what color they were? Were they the house colors? Or you know, I don't know because they they do mention that there's a big there's like a big shiny letter P on them for prefects. Yeah, I feel like they mentioned the prefect badges being the house colors because in that case, then Tom's prefect badge would have been yeah, would have been green. That's true. I don't know. I don't know if there like she doesn't mention textually that there's that there is a house association that's on Riddle. Um, so I'm gonna guess that's how she's kind of getting away with it because I think you're right. Yes, if he had noticed that Riddle was a Slytherin, he absolutely would not have trusted him from the get go. Um, but yeah, that's a tough one because I don't know if we have any canonical proof that they wear anything that identifies their house on them. Well. If you're out there listening and you know this, please let us know. <laughs> yes, yes. Hunt down that quote for us. Um, but the kind of the last thing uh, I wanted to close this discussion with uh, is that Rowling, I, it kind of goes full circle to what we were talking about earlier about how Chamber of Secrets is the book that everybody poo-poos on these days. Because um, Rowling had something to say about Chamber of Secrets and its circle theory link to Half-Blood Prince, and this was from her website back in 2004. And she said, There is no trace of the Half-Blood Prince storyline left in Chamber of Secrets. Rather, the link between the two books relates to a discovery Harry made in Chamber of Secrets that foreshadows something he finds out in Half-Blood Prince. Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince was once, in the long, distant past, a possibility for Chamber of Secrets. And from that, we deduced that it was genuine. Certain crucial pieces of information in Book 6 were originally planned for Chamber of Secrets. But very early on, the first draft of Chamber of Secrets, I realized that this information's proper home was Book 6. I have said before now that Chamber of Secrets holds some very important clues to the ultimate end of the series. Not as many as 6, obviously. But there is a link. Now, this was in 2004, so of course this was before the books were done. So she was hinting at stuff about mm -hmm. what was coming up with Half-Blood Prince. But any thoughts 
from y'all about what might have been in Chamber of Secrets that got moved to Half-Blood Prince. Probably more about the diary being a horcrux, if I had to guess. Mm. Mm -hmm. And maybe some of the memories that were in there, too, because it does go into Riddle's backstory a little bit, so maybe there would have been some more to the memory or Harry would have gone into the diary more than once or something. Oh, like yeah. Maybe, maybe yeah. the diary was kind of used more like the pensive mm -hmm. in book six. It wouldn't surprise me if there had been a bit more about kind of Merope and, and, and Morphin and, and those that family in this book with, with mm -hmm. learning about um, Riddle. Um, yeah, I can't imagine that we'd learn more about Snape or anything like that in this book. It has to be Horcruxes. That's what I was wondering, because she mentions that there's no trace of the Half-Blood Prince storyline, and a big piece, too, of the Half-Blood Prince storyline is Snape. Yeah. So I'm wondering if there were any more hints about Snape, or maybe if Harry found Snape's potions book and was using it in tandem with Ginny I don't know what benefit that would give though no I don't either to this particular I'm... story I mean that would be why it was moved out of it and obviously mm -hmm. it's, it was an early draft but I, yeah. I think yeah it would make a lot more sense for it to be more information about Horcruxes more information about Tom Riddle's backstory that got well moved. maybe it's possible that in the original draft Slughorn appeared in one of the memories from the diary as well maybe there was more than one memory even Yeah, like you said maybe Slughorn Could was be. there Oh, yeah, that would have been cool if Slughorn had actually appeared this early on. Yeah. That would have mm. been a fun character name drop. So I'm trying to think if there's anything, any hints in the um, British Library History of Magic exhibition. Because we, we had an early draft of, oh, yeah, I think it right. was um, Prisoner of Azkaban that had like the, the um, kind of timeline plotted out. But I don't think there's anything for Chamber for that one. Yeah, yeah, that that would be interesting to have seen if there was more of that, but... Yeah, um, I guess I guess I, I'd love to see if she ever reveals that because I, 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 I it's it would be interesting to know like what other definitive things linked these two that early because that kind of answers would answer my question about revealing her process of how much she knew. Yeah, by absolutely. that point, um, I think the big thing. I think you're right that the Horcruxes were probably probably well formulated because I don't think we came up with anything that really shows an inconsistency with how the diary works in relation to how the other Horcruxes work. No, they, yeah, they've all got their own particular peculiarities. Um, and I, yeah, I don't think there's anything in the diary that stops it being like the others. They're all, they have their individual quirks. Um, I always thought that the, cause you know, we, we talk about how, satisfying Rowling's reveals are and you know how they how how clever it is that she had so much laid in the original the early books that becomes relevant in the later books yeah and of course you know the big the big one that the fandom continues to discuss and talk about at length is Snape you know love Lily oh yeah but I I prefer and then why I think Half-Blood Prince is one of my favorite books in the series the connections that she makes in Half-Blood to Chamber and to earlier books just continues to blow my mind. Like that, to me, Half-Blood, in a lot of ways, is more of the peak satisfactory book. And one of my favorite things, I think, about the way that she writes 
is how subtly she puts in all these little things that you really don't notice until later. Especially me, because I'm a very fast reader, so sometimes my eyes will skip those tiny details that end up becoming really important. <laughs> mm-hmm. I th- well, and that's, I think, what we all did the first time we read Potter, because we were all being trained by rolling to look for the small details. Yeah. <laughs> um, they weren't, they, they were still kind of coming, they, I think it, it came to a head with Order of the Phoenix when everybody freaked out about Mark Evans. And <laughs> that was kind of the first time that the fandom, I think, it exploded with, oh my God, we found it. We went and she too was, far. <laughs> yeah, we, we went too far. And she was like, no, 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 that's not a thing. That's <clears> just <throat> some guy in the background. Yeah, um, darn. But, but I think I think this quote <laughs> is perfect for that very reason, Michael. Like the idea that she had written a draft of it and realized actually that this information needed to be in book six. She was tying those connections there together. She mm-hmm. had an idea of what book six was going to be looking like and therefore could easily move something from this book into that book and build mm-hmm. those connections up. Um, so it really does show that she has some element of planning and, and some element of the overarching storyline in her head that allows her to to weave this delicate tapestry that we all love. Um, yeah. You know, yeah. part of the that... reason why you love Half-Blood Prince is part of the reason why I don't like it so much is <laughs> that it, it it is so information heavy and it is so lore droppy. It gives us so much mm. information just to get us into the next part of the story um, that I th- personally think that the pace of of the Horcrux reveal is really it drags on a bit and it is a bit slow so it's interesting to me to think that you know one of those horcruxes that is revealed in that book as humans we're naturally driven by the search for better but when it comes to hiring the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all don't search match with indeed when i was looking to hire someone it was so slow and overwhelming i wish i had used indeed if you need to hire you need indeed Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Potentially could have been revealed earlier to us and, and in this book, and maybe that would have reduced the amount of law dropping that was going on in book six and improved that pacing. So maybe that was a kind of a... A, a, a unfortunate side effect of having to move that out of Chamber of Secrets and into book six. I kind of liked that about Half-Blood Prince. I think it's one of my favorites because of the memories. It's also the book, the paperback copy of which I have had for the longest and therefore have read the most. And that's probably the only, one of the only reasons I would not call it my favorite 
out of all of them, I mean, Prisoner of Azkaban just wins because Lupin, <laughs> but Half-Blood Prince might be my second favorite because I love all of the memories, and I've always liked flashbacks and getting insight yeah. into the past of a story. Yeah, don't get me wrong. I love all of the information. I think, yeah, I have problems with Dumbledore, as you all know, and that's a major yes. problem with that book. So, uh, yeah, th- there's other things. I kind of think that me, Dumbledore but... should have been in Slytherin, but that's a conversation <laughs> yeah. for another day. Um, I, kind of, I do agree with you, though, Rosie, in saying that while you said that in, in Half-Blood Prince specifically, it seems like the um, the Horcrux stuff is doled out a little bit slowly. If you think about it, you know, I think we all kind of felt a little bit... Um, thrown aback at the when we were reading Deathly Hallows because all of a sudden we have this introduction of this brand new um plot device the Hallows that essentially ended up being a bit yeah. of like a foil or a, a red herring almost but um that was so uh, jarring when when we learned about the Hallows finally and in 6 you get almost the same feeling with the Horcruxes but she spends the whole book sort of like telling you and letting you know about it I agree with you though that I think it would have been a little bit nicer to get a little bit more tidbits of information about the Horcruxes throughout the series. But it is nice that we, yeah. you can look back on it once the whole story is done and, and see all those connections that were there. It just wasn't explained to us at the time while we were reading. Yeah. For instance, if, if it was the ring that she moved out of Chamber of Secrets and put into book six, that would have then not only foreshadowed the Horcruxes and, and given us a little bit of information about that, but would also have foreshadowed hallows and connected those in a little bit earlier as well mm-hmm. so it would have been mm. a really interesting item to have included in this book but it really would have no meaning and and no purpose within the actual plot line of it so right. I, I can see why they would move i can kind of see why why that would have been an issue for her moving forward to have too much in chamber of secrets because yeah. it's it is too early yeah. um for, for the pace that harry's relationship builds with these with the other characters who tie into this, I it does need to like all that that information almost does need to drop in six, um, to mm-hmm. make it work properly, especially with his relationship with Dumbledore and Voldemort by that point. Yeah. Also, because otherwise you spend three books just going. Well, what about those things? <laughs> where, where did all yeah. that go? Are we going to do anything yeah. with it? I, but I think that's also the problem. Why? Why I actually you kind of pulled out to Patrick why I have a problem with something like the Deathly Hallows where really the only thing we get up to that point is Harry has a cloak and it's an unusually good invisibility cloak and nobody mm-hmm. knows yeah. why the end and then suddenly in book three book seven it's like actually it's part of a super secret you know underground organization mystery and mm-hmm. there's a cloak and a wand and a ring and like you said Rosie if there had been more to that that tied in earlier and of course like all of the Harry Potter books, all of the Harry Potter books are named after their MacGuffin for the most part. And Deathly Hallows is named like the Deathly Hallows are a MacGuffin. They're not actually mm-hmm. the most important yeah. thing about the story. Mm-hmm. Um, but just like the Half-Blood Prince is really a MacGuffin. The Snape thing is more of a character development in piece of information. The memories are what's actually important. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and the Horcrux reveals. So maybe that's why I find that bit of uh, like more satisfying, but but yeah, it's it can't be denied, whatever you feel about the books down the line or how you feel about Chamber and Half-Blood, that at the very least, Chamber is, for what it's worth, a very important piece of the Harry Potter story. Yeah, and this chapter in particular is yes. a really key, very secret diary 
important plot point. <laughs> so we'll leave you with the thought of happy post Valentine's Day. Please don't make Horcruxes with your soul. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's not worth it. <laughs> don't make Horcruxes, kids. <laughs> if we've learned one thing today. But that wraps our discussion and our revisit to chapter 13 of Chamber of Secrets. Yay! <laughs> so with that, we want to thank Micah for being such an incredible guest this whole episode. Aw, thank you guys so much for having me. Can I just put in a little plug to my fanfiction account? Yes! <laughs> sure, absolutely. Okay, so it's Fairy Tales of Forever, and the first letter of each word is capitalized. I have a couple of Harry Potter ones, a couple of How to Train Your Dragon <laughs> ones, and a lot of ridiculousness about me that is my profile. <laughs> But thank you guys so much for having me again. This has been the time of my life, and I will quite faithfully keep listening to Alohomora and loving Harry Potter way too much of that <laughs> thing. Thank you very much, Micah. My gosh, Micah, that warms my heart. I think that especially warms, I can probably speak on her behalf, mine and Rosie's heart, because yeah. <laughs> we, were, we were both big into fan fiction back in the day, so that that we we were we were very steeped in Harry Potter fanfic in the early yeah. days. So it's it, nice it's how I roped Michael into this podcast in the first place. Yes, <laughs> nabbing him from fanfiction and bringing him in here. So. <laughs> <laughs> Yay. so that's that's wonderful to hear. That's and it was great to have a like I said to have a. I I work with I work with teens your age um, at the library that I work at. So it's really cool to continue to hear perspectives of the next generations who are experiencing Harry Potter a little differently. I couldn't even fathom being spoiled about harry potter details because i watched youtube videos that's 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 horrifying um, yeah but that's it's it's also really interesting because it gives us a context for how the new generations that come after us are going to experience harry potter and how it's going to be different for them but that it's still a valuable and exciting experience so we're glad that you could come and share that and it's also nice to know that you know, fans your age are still enjoying it with the same level of yep. passion and enjoyment that we had when we were your age. Yeah. So thanks very much for joining us, Micah. It's been a pleasure talking to you. Oh, I've had so much fun. Thank you, guys. And if and listeners, if you're curious about joining us for these some upcoming episodes, we can't tell you what they are because it's secret like the Chamber's secret. Shh, don't tell anyone. It's a pretty awesome secret big old secret and then when it shows up it's gonna burst out like a big old snake coming out of the pipes <laughs> get <laughs> but, your mirrors at the ready <laughs> yes yes so um yes keep keep an eye out on especially on our social media accounts our facebook and our twitter and we're going to tell you about a few of those things and how to get in touch with us and how to get on the show yes we have a whole bunch of really exciting stuff coming up and if you'd like to participate in that all you have to do is visit our website alohomorapodcast.com and then click on the Be On The Show tab. All you have to do is follow the instructions, and that'll tell you how to send us your audition. All you need is a microphone with a pair of headphones, like an Apple headset or something like that. And if you're chosen to guest host, we'll walk you through the rest on that day when we sit down to record it. It really is not that hard. Uh, as Trust me, as the editor of the show, we have gotten all sorts of people from all over the world with all sorts of different types of equipment. So do not let your lack of really fancy, nice equipment hold you back from wanting to be on the show. Trust me, I can make almost anything sound good. And for the most part, every track we have from a guest sounds great. But if you don't want to be on the show that way, 
you can just send us a topic that you'd like us to talk about. All you have to do is go to the topic submit page on our website, and then you can submit your topic there. And thank you, Patrick, for making us sound so wonderful every week. It's, yeah, the work you've done for us over the past however many years it's been now is just, yeah, great. Thank you so much. And if you guys want to contact us in any other way or you want to keep an eye out for that special surprise, you can check out our social media. If you check out our Twitter or our Instagram, it is at MN. You can check out our Facebook, Facebook facebook.com forward slash open the Dumbledore. Our website, as you know, is alohomorapodcast.com. Our YouTube is youtube.com forward slash alohomoramn. And you can also drop us an email, alohomorapodcast at gmail.com. And we want to give you one more reminder to check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash alohomora. Thank you again to Amy Loudenslager for sponsoring this episode. And you can sponsor us listeners for as low as $1 a month. And again, be sure to check out our higher tiers for access to things like Dumbledore's Office, episode sponsoring, decals, chapter readings with me, vintage Alohomora t-shirts, and more. Can I say something real quick? Yes. Go ahead. I just want to say to the listeners, and we we do this a lot, but I sometimes feel like it's it's we get a little wrapped up in the show. But since I don't get a chance to be on very often, I want to just say thank you so much to the people who support us on Patreon. We honestly could not tell you how much it means to us. The show would not continue without your support. I really don't think at this point that it could. And we are so grateful that you are there with us. And I I personally love being part of the Facebook group. To me, it's worth it to be a Patreon Patreon sponsor just to be part of the Facebook group. Uh, Facebook can be a really toxic place sometimes. And since I've joined the, the Dumbledore's Army group, it's... It's a nice, awesome place to go to discuss. We don't even just discuss Harry Potter. You can post about anything you want to on there. It's not a huge group, so there's not 10,000 people on there cluttering it up with all this talk about Donald Trump or whatever. <laughs> it's a really good, nice place. And to me, that makes it worth it just for that. But then all this extra stuff, the extra little bit of work we put in for the Patreon stuff, I absolutely think is worth it. And if you're if you are someone that's been thinking about this, just look into it a little bit and see. A dollar is not a lot. And I don't want to sound like I'm pandering or anything like that, or like I'm asking for you. We we, the, we love making the show for everybody. But the people who support us on Patreon are really special to us because we honestly could not do the show without you. So thank you very much, very much for supporting us in that way. I'm Michael. I'm Rosie. And I'm Patrick. Thank you so much for listening to episode 265 of Alohomora. Open the diary. Before we move on, I would just want to say I have an, yes. an interesting opportunity here of something that I've wanted to do for the last seven years. I have the opportunity to comment on the previous episode that I just got done editing before it was posted last week. Uh, oh, yes, that's I don't know, true. Yes. I don't know if we've uh, we've dis- uh, discussed this yet. Listeners, I don't know if I've said this yet or not, but uh, I am the editor of the show. 
Um, through the last seven years, we've had many different editors with us. I think we've had a total of seven or so, but I've been with the show since episode four. And a lot of the times when I'm editing the episode, like I imagine a lot of you out there feel, I'm sitting here editing the episode, listening to what these wonderful people are talking about. And in my head, I'm just screaming, <laughs> why did you guys say that? Why didn't you think about this? What are you talking about? <laughs> and and so today, <laughs> today I have the opportunity to just say that uh, the one thing I wish you would have mentioned last week, Michael, was you never talked about <laughs> you never talked about one of the greatest adaptations of all time from book to movie form in terms of, I guess, taking people's expectations and running and diverting their expectations from the book to the to the movie. And of course, I'm talking about one of the great movie series of all time, Twilight. You guys never mentioned how incredible. <laughs> uh no and yes i'm i'm half kidding only because i really do think <laughs> do we have I'd... to get into twilight <laughs> no no we don't have to and i totally understand but i just love in the movies the way that they they took the fact that that there was no final battle in the mo in the books and added a final battle in a very clever way that was plausible in the movie making it more of a big blockbuster movie and sending the series off which i thought was great and i was disappointed you guys didn't mention that yeah okay but harry potter has better werewolves Oh, 100%. I don't think we should compare. I, I just, you know, there's just something I was thinking while I was editing. I, I, I want you to take this chunk of the conversation, and I definitely want you to take it out of this section and stick it at the end of the episode. Oh, yeah, that's, that's, that's totally end fine. Of the episode discussion. That's perfect. That's perfect. This is fabulous. Um, and then I also just wanted to say I was glad you guys didn't get into the canon, epi canon uh, whether the movies are canon or not, because we've discussed that on the show many, many times before. But with the new Fantastic Beasts, it's almost like people are just generally accepting things that are in those movies as canon now because we don't have books. And so I think in the future we'll need to talk about that. And I, we have talked about Yeah, you need an entire things. episode for that one. But that's a tough yeah, thing to talk about. that would be an interesting about. topic. But uh, I think we definitely yeah. should talk about that sometime in the future because was Nagini a person at one point or not? Who knows? You know? Yeah, we get into we've gotten into a few discussions on that on um, Speak Beastie, and that I think oh, is yeah, probably sure. something too that's going to become a main discussion on on both shows. Because yes, that that the movies because of Fantastic Beasts have definitely messed messed with canon <clears throat> quite a bit at this point. So we may even come upon a little bit of that when we get into the time stuff. It's fun because some of the movies are direct adaptations. But these Fantastic Beast movies are technically in the cinematic universe of Harry Potter, so they are a new a new story in an already existing universe that is based on an ad adaptation so it's an interesting and fascinating conundrum yes but we're going to we're going to hold off on that discussion cuz y'all y'all want to be on speak beastie right now you're on the wrong podcast so we're going to hold we're going to press pause on that and we are going to go into the chapter discussion here but we may come upon some of that stuff because we are going to get into some stuff with the past um in this episode so we may touch upon that as we go through this so uh I'll just jump into our chapter summary here and then we'll get into it with the lucky land slots you can get lucky just about anywhere this is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. 
With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.